previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. In this business, not everybody is going to like you. And that's okay. You have to learn to have tough skin. Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This is the weekly show where I talk with guests about their connection to sports. My guest this week is my brother, Edward Holland Sr., practically the guest I've known the longest. In this lengthy, unfiltered interview, in this lengthy, unfiltered episode, Eddie goes into detail about how he became a fan of his favorite teams, the San Antonio Spurs, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Seattle Mariners, as well as about his time as a high school athlete playing baseball and football. We'll also discuss a number of sports-related issues, including Nike's decision to make former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick the face of their ad campaign, Papa John's, and their previous link to being the official pizza of the NFL, and more. Without further ado, here's my interview with my brother, Edward Holland Sr. With me, my brother, Edward Holland Sr. Now you have the name tag of like those NFL players where they start putting the third or the hyphenated names. Like at one point, London Fletcher went by London Fletcher hyphen Baker in honor of his grandma. Now I see like Edward Holland Sr. Yeah. After the game recently, uh, a player had a name on there, had senior on there. I mean, Steve Smith had senior on there. So I was like, huh, now they're going to the senior route. And I didn't know that the guy had his grandmother's name hyphenated. That's like with Maurice Jones-Drew. When I played some of those games, he was Maurice Drew. That Jones came out of nowhere. But, or that his wife made a feminism. But hey, you're going to take my last name. I'm not taking yours. You find those rare cases where the husband takes the wife's last name? I can't think of none right now, but I'm sure in the middle of our, uh, of our discussion, I might name drop one. And like, okay, yeah, maybe that is a weird name. <laughs> Yeah, because that's pretty much the kind of non-sequitur conversations we often have. This is a a little bit different from some of the previous episodes we had, maybe more along the lines of what I have with Duran. Some of these episodes, I talk to people that have very interesting careers and have interesting hobbies and talking about how sports is sort of involved in their lives and things that they do. And other times, it's just straight up talk sports. Yeah, because I don't know where I'm going to go with this. That's how all our conversations go anyway. We just start discussing something then. Out of the middle of the blue, we pop something else and talk about that and then go back to what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically a real-life episode of Family Guy without all the vomit jokes. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to describe it. I don't watch Family Guy like that. People try to get me to watch Family Guy. I was like, uh, it's just not my cup of tea. I was a Simpson guy. I love the Simpsons. I watched Simpsons probably, give or take, maybe maybe 15 years. Oh, since the Simpsons movie. Wow. I've been watching them a lot. And it's funny when the Simpsons went on to FXX and they had the marathon of every Simpsons ever. I thought there was a period where I had missed a ton of episodes. It's like a real small handful. So over almost 30 years, you come and look at it. I think, wow, I've seen nearly every episode, especially I've been watching every Sunday night, especially for the past six, seven, eight seasons, and going through every one of those episodes, I remember especially a ton of the first 20 years, and then I see ones that I didn't expect that I had seen. So, like I said, it's a few episodes I don't remember watching, but yeah, I am uh, thoroughly surprised of how many that I can actually say I've seen. Yeah, I, I'm probably lost. So, after Futurama came out, and then 
they got something most recently on uh, Netflix called Disenchanted or something like that. Supposed to be a Simpson-like type show, but those type of shows, I lost it. Now you talk about the anime. I'm a Dragon Ball Z guy. I'm Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball, and all that stuff. <laughs> and I watched a little bit of Dragon Ball Z with you guys, and it wasn't something like uh, anime. Is where it's weird. No, just I watched it, and you can see that maybe the American version of it, they tend to stall a lot. They try to draw out an episode longer than they need to. Too much drama just to make you end up watching the show. And you could watch over three or four weeks, especially like the saga with Frieza or Majin Buu. And, and those things could have easily been done in like a two hour movie. Yeah, you brought up the most talked about sagas. Damn, how long did it take Goku to power up the big tube fan? It took over a span of 10 days. Monday through Friday on Toonami just to watch Goku transform from regular Goku to Super Saiyan Goku. And after he did that, it took even longer for him to be Frieza. <laughs> but like I'm saying, it's all the drama. We loved it. You know what I mean? It's all the build up to it and everything else. Be all the other stuff fast paced and everything else. And then once you get to the meat of the series, then that's when they say, you know, we're going to stall because guess what? Now they can make season three, four, five, and six out of this one little section and stuff. It's, it's what they did. They had the box collection and everything else like that. You know, sometimes, depending on what it is, maybe not everybody's going to be constantly invested, waiting that slow burn. And a while, it'll start making you think, man, is all this time worth it being invested and maybe having to wait longer than I need to for the payoff? <laughs> uh, yes and no. The most simple thing is that. So, so they came out with Dragon Ball Super Battle of the Gods. It's an hour or half to hour long movie, pretty much. So, from that movie alone, they made season one out of Dragon Ball Super. So you took a two hour long movie and made it for and make it almost twenty five episodes long. So, like I said, like just like you said earlier, when I make two, when I made the movie two hours long, make a two hour um, two hour movie. But guess what? They did it, and guess what? And they still use as a platform for the episodes. They actually use that and the resurrection of F as two movies to put them at the first two seasons of the Dragon Ball Super Saga. And then he went on from there. Do you think they'll ever make a really good live action Dragon Ball movie? Oh, man. <laughs> to be honest with you, Hollywood won't, but there's a lot of live action little docuseries on YouTube that look phenomenal. I mean, they don't have the budget like the Hollywood studios have, but they take these actions and series and different situations from from the series, and they make these 20-minute long films, which are phenomenal, and they don't look cheesy. 20 minutes of those films was better than the whole hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes of the Dragon Ball Bible. <laughs> that movie's there, man. So the mini-movie, sort of like how they did with Mortal Kombat with Michael Jai White and those? Yes. Oh, man, that was fantastic. The same thing with... um. It's, uh, I don't know if you follow Bat and the Sun on YouTube or not, but those guys are responsible for doing like Superman versus Superman and Batman versus whoever. And pretty much they did a uh, nice little series with Pirates, like a darker version universe of them. So they're not the kid friendly Pirates we used to watch, but it's like more violent and more towards adults. And, everything else. and it was done on a limited budget, you know what I mean? I think I saw one of the episodes. Uh, majority of the Power Rangers were dead, except for the Red Ranger Pink Ranger. And come to find out at the end of it, it was Tommy who was the Bad Ranger. It shows like him and Lord Jesse. 
Oh, that makes me think, as soon as you said Tommy and the White Ranger, make, did you see the promos they did for that Power Rangers comic book series with Tommy as both the combination of the Green and White Ranger, and he's sort of the overlord, and he's trying to destroy the Power Rangers? See, that's the one they were basing that off. Okay. So yeah, that was the darkest thing I saw mm-hmm. on YouTube. But the one they got coming out, of course, and it's going to be more kids-friendly and politically correct and stuff, so... <laughs> And that is a funny thing. So, you know me, I'm a type of person that likes scouring YouTube at all times of night because sometimes it's all about sort of a thirst for nostalgia or just trying to find out something new. And I'm sitting back watching some of these old cartoon intros and promos from like the 70s and 80s and 90s. And I was watching the uh, intros for the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show or Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner show, you know, where they do the intro where Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are singing. And it makes me wonder, why is it that something like Looney Tunes isn't on TV at a very high rate like it used to be? Remember on Nickelodeon, we'd have Looney Tunes. They'd do a half hour of Looney Tunes on Cartoon Network, they were doing Looney Tunes. Maybe that's one reason. It's maybe because Warner Brothers owns the rights, is on Cartoon Network, and it's just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, the other thing is, I don't think it's changing taste of adults, because if they're talking about how stuff on television was too violent for their kids, what did you grow up watching? And I know half of these people are my age and your age and grew up watching. What was the stuff they watch on TV? G.I. Joe, He-Man. Yeah, Transformers, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes survived for almost 70 years, either in TV, on movies, on three network. How is it all of a sudden a non-entity? Is it because Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network dropped the ball and that they got a stranglehold on it and they don't air them? Or is it that people all of a sudden have changing tastes? Well, Warner Brothers, right? They own DC, correct? Yeah. All right, so let's take it like this. So DC right now is going to have their own streaming service, right? They're getting away from Netflix and everything else. Most recently, Disney is coming out with their own service. They're taking all their Disney movies and all their Marvel movies off, but keeping the Marvel series and stuff on Netflix and stuff. Now, Looney Tunes is Warner Brothers, right? I'm sure down the road, maybe another year or two, they're going to have a Warner Brothers classic streaming service just like uh, Disney and stuff. When I make your own money, instead of having to have a middleman to make the additional assets and everything else and stuff. And like I said, Looney Tunes back then, great. We're all growing up watching Looney Tunes and stuff. But as we get older, as we start having kids and as generations start to change, people tend to get offended by certain things that happens in movies and TV, especially Looney Tunes back in the day. I've seen some stuff on YouTube that I never knew Looney Tunes had even produced. They never made TV, you know what I mean? Like you were talking one about, uh, was it Cold Black and the Seven Doors? I never knew about that until you said something to me. So that's maybe why Looney Tunes was great back then. All the scrutiny now because, hey, Looney Tunes is racing to the A, man. And, you know, that's why it's not getting the type of uh, publication now out on TV and everything else. But I feel like even Warner Brothers did a job policing themselves. And just like if you go on the WWE Network, first thing that WWE does when it comes to old pay-per-views, they say these wrestlers were playing characters and maybe from a different time. And well, that's what they did with those band nine or ten cartoons. They're definitely on YouTube, so that is not an issue. You can find them. If for some reason they keep showing up every time I'm looking at old cartoons, it says Warner Brothers band cartoons and... You look at it, they made fun of a lot of ethnicities. The Japanese, the Germans, yes, black folks, definitely. I've seen the one with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. And Bugs Bunny was like talking to Elmer Fudd, like trying to kill him, hunt him and stuff. And mm-hmm. so he started to like 
you know, a slave convention. They, oh, no, Master, please, no, Master, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I was like, well, damn, I didn't know they had that type of stuff going on back then. And there were some okay, episodes where Bugs Buzz and Blackface singing Mammy. Yeah. <laughs> and now they changed this up where some of those cartoons were singing Mammy, but it ain't no Blackface. I always tell people my go-to movie by far. If you're older now, you probably know what I'm about to say. The movie I'm talking about, a lot of people now know that's my number one go-to movie. And everybody from our age should know that Dumbo with the three little crows by far was the most stereotypical racial movie ever. Look, most people say, that's not racist. This is crows. I said, yes, this crows, but I said, <laughs> I said, back in the day, though, you know, that's what he used to call black people back in the day with crows and stuff and all the jive talk and heffling people and stuff. That's 1940, so. But, yeah. and even then, really, the violence on Looney Tunes cartoons were just basically slapstick. I yeah. think that anybody with a brain, adult or a kid, knows it's not real. Well, i tell you one thing. You're wrong about that. The one thing I know is real, and a lot of people tell you now, the speed knots. So you get hit, them bumps come up real quick. That's the real thing in the world. Cause, oh, look at Cardi okay. B. I, I saw the Cardi B photo. So speed knot. Boom. As soon as you get hit, that thing comes up. So that's the only thing from cartoons that is real in real life is speed knot. Speed I knot. wish it was really true that you could walk off the edge of a cliff and it'd be fine until you look down. That's cartoon <laughs> law. Like on Tiny Toons, they talk about the cartoon physics. You're fine until you look down, and that's when it's over. But guess what, though, man? <laughs> By the time you take your first step off of there, you're already looking down, and boom, pretty much dead. So <laughs> that concept's gone. <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody gonna break walking across something without looking down. I'm, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I had this topic broached a while ago talking about pro wrestling. We know yeah, that yeah, yeah. it's predetermined in his entertainment. You know, someone tells you, "Oh, you know, wrestling's fake," and you were crying when Spider-Man died in Infinity War. So, <laughs> tell me that what you're not watching is fake. And there's no issue with that, but people better be careful with what they want to talk about as fake entertainment because everything we watch is basically contrived. Everything that we watch is basically fiction. As much as I like flying DeLoreans and be able to use a lightsaber, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to (laughs) happen. But the thing is, I'm talking about fake and fiction and stuff, but the one thing I have noticed in these movies like Terminator, which started the whole AI being smart and everything else, or short circuit, and short circuit was was after terminated. But the artificial intelligence, like you're saying, see how as we're getting older, we're depending on more and more of the AI. You got the cloud, so you go on Google, you go on Google before you come back again, so I have your search. Like, oh, this is what you liked before, and anything else and stuff. And like you're saying, artificial intelligence, as I've seen from Avengers, Age of Ultron, I had a discussion everybody else for too at work. And I'll, you may think I'm crazy, but I'm still sticking with what I believe is that Ultron was a perfect example of how he seen us as human beings. We do all this damage, we do all this war with each other and stuff. So why not get rid of a population? Terminator did the same thing too. They rethought, they say, oh, human beings are for yourself. Why not genocide? The genocide and stuff. Why not, why not do the forum and everything else? But that's my personal opinion. I just say, watch out in the future because they make a lot of artificial robots that look like humans now. Like the Abe Lincoln. Did you see the Abe Lincoln robot? No, I haven't seen Abe Lincoln. It was on Twitter. They were showing an animatronic Abe Lincoln. He had all these facial features. He was 
doing all the facial movement and all this stuff. And it was really weird. But you were talking about artificial intelligence. I've never seen the movie, but it's probably someone recommended 2001 A Space Odyssey. The computer system how and all of a sudden how feels like he has to kill that's an example probably one of the early examples of artificial intelligence coming to life and taking over that's one of those things i distinctly remember from clips and excerpts of it so yeah that was probably way before terminator well yeah a movie that did a good portrayal of what robots shouldn't do was i robot robots had laws and the first robot law was a robot shall not harm you and another one was that robots can't think or have feelings. So, so I'm a big sci-fi nut. You already know that. Another example, uh, I don't know how much of Star Trek The Next Generation watched, but look at Data. I sometimes wonder if that was sort of their Android equivalent of Spock. Data's learning more things. Spock always uses logic because, you know, half Vulcan, half human, but tries to use more of his Vulcan side using logic and less emotion. Yeah, I mean, that's how it is, man. That's how it is. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but people depend way too much on technology. People are forgetting how to do stuff the old way. People are depending on online banking because the online banking is not going to immediately take out what's coming out your account. It may take a day or two before you know it. Like, hey, I got extra money in here to get to spend a minute of that money. And your account will go overdrawn and stuff like that. We were taught old school, get a checkbook. Write down your withdrawals, write down whatever you spend, whatever, write down whatever you deposit, and everything else, and you keep track with it that way. But like I said, we're going to the age of technology now, you know what I mean? They got the phones that recognize your face to open up the phone and stuff. So. Yeah, and the thing about that is, especially when it comes to online banking and paying bills, I've never been a fan of auto pay, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. While it seems great in the concept, you don't have to worry about going and logging in, doing this and paying that. If you don't have the money at a particular time and they take that out, then you're screwed because then you got the overdraft fees and then other things that you're trying to buy at that point. It's like, oh man, I don't have the money to pay for it because they have to pay this and the other thing. And other times when you want them to take the money out when you have it, they never do. But when you don't want them to take the money out, they do. Well, see, yeah, see, I say for instance, they'll do on the first of the month. They'll go ahead and take it out on the either the 30th or 29th. I was like, you know, it's supposed to be taken out on the first. And most times we're taking it out on the first, they don't take it out until four days later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So auto pay is stupid. <laughs> Some people like it because auto pay, like, oh, we'll give you a $10 discount if you auto pay. Yeah, okay. that's the illusion of comfort and a discount because yeah. you can't just get up and put in and pay your payment yourself. Listen, people are lazy, man. Anything that can be easy for them, they'll do it. So auto pay for lazy people. <laughs> yeah, I had a discussion with one of my guests, Dante Finney, episode three, for anyone who's listening for the first time. And we were just talking about technology. How is technology making things a little tougher on people, making things easier? Is it making things people lazier? And sort of paraphrasing what he said, and again, you guys can go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, technology has its benefits and sometimes its hindrances. It can help you get a better look on your health and what you're doing and sort of give you more data and everything on things you're doing. It can help track your weight. It also makes it easier to fall on the lazy habits. Now, you can have food delivered to you, especially using your phone. I mean, even with the old way, you had to use a phone to call someone. It's not like you can send a carrier yeah. pigeon out to Pizza Hut and get your pizza. I can imagine that pizza coming. That pizza's all messed up. Well, if, it, if you tie it to the pigeon's leg right and it doesn't get caught or get preoccupied with something else, your order should be right. Uh, 
Guaranteed never late. Yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, the bird will be late, but your order shouldn't be. But yeah, I think with the internet, that can sometimes play a hindrance. Yeah. It makes people a little less reliant on themselves. I guess sometimes it's better, well, computer can't let me down. Other people disappoint me, but computers can't let me down. Yeah, see, and Dante's right. Dante's right. Because uh, definitely good for fitness and health because I use my fitness pal app. And uh, it helps me track all my food I eat. That works. The Fitbit app helps track my steps, exercise time, everything and stuff. So, like I so, said, yeah, it got as good as it got as bad. One of the things we talked about before we started recording, and one of the things you mentioned this all in a Facebook post, you were talking about how there's a lack of originality when it comes to movies and television shows now. A lot of people yeah. are just either remakes <laughs> or reboots. Like, one of the things, I don't know if you heard it, that the original creator of All in the Family and the Jeffersons was talking about doing reboots of the Jeffersons' good times. He already did a reboot of One Day at a Time on Netflix. Norman Lear, he's about 94 years old, and he's all about redoing his own shows. And the biggest thing is, why not do those less popular shows, yeah, shows popular. that either didn't get a chance or, like, were really poor concepts back then, because especially when you only have three channels, a lot of shows would get more ratings because you had no other choice. What yeah, else were you going to watch? You either had ABC, you had NBC, you had CBS. Well, you know how we live Maybe PBS. The there was no VCR. 16, 20, 47. Everybody and, know that. And not, and even then, you didn't have NBC. You had 16 with CBS. 47, which apparently didn't come on until the early 80s, basically would show half of his morning schedule at NBC stuff. So you'd get a bunch of game shows and things like that. And then at night, you'd get ABC's TV schedule. And then 28 was PBS. Yeah. In the 50s, there was four networks. There was ABC, NBC, CBS, and the Dumont Network. Yeah, as we were growing up, we were getting 16, 20, 47. Yeah. And, then, and if we got lucky, we got the little uh, static channels in. Yeah, the low-power TV stations. But even then, there weren't that many on that area. It was surprising enough there was at least two TV stations, let alone one. Yeah. But it's one of those things where there was plenty of shows on in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and probably just two years ago that were poorly conceived or didn't get a fair shake on TV. There were some shows that really should have gotten a fair shake, but people who run the networks, I've come to this conclusion. They're idiots. They're complete idiots, and they always have been. I'll use this example. I was watching this Eat You Hollywood story about Family Feud. So, and they talk about when the concepts initially came out in the 70s. Of course, you know, when you play, if the other team gets three wrong answers, it goes over to the other team to steal the bank. One of the network executives didn't like the concept of stealing the bank. (laughs) Yes, it's the stupidest thing in the world. So what, you want them to lose, so to get three wrong answers? So they get nothing for it? Yeah, okay. That's, uh, some of these people, I just wonder how they became <laughs> network executives. There are some people now I wonder how they became network executives. And I go back to the line from Tropic Thunder with uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, and he talks to Bill Hader's character. Seriously, a nutless monkey can do your job. Yes, exactly. A nutless monkey I can put together can a schedule job. that can counter program any network. You feel like I can put together a schedule. Anyone. Jasmine could put together a schedule, and it'd be better than some of these network executives. And Jasmine, what, three or four? Three, yeah. So she could put together a schedule. Probably it'd be more entertaining than half of the stuff that's on television now. <laughs> I think see, network executives are useless. Speaking of uh, family feud, I, I mean, I love the fact that Steve Harvey's on there. 
And I love the fact that he's making the show popular again. But the thing I don't like is they're using him to turn a show that used to be serious and everything else. Now, everybody just want to come on there and, and be the next YouTube highlight. You know what I mean? Like I said, I, don't get me wrong. I think it's funny. I, I just think it's, I think it's all funny and stuff. But, you know, but that's, that's kind of, they're just kind of using him now. Like, oh, maybe feud ain't the feud it used to be. You know, back in the day, boom, if they answer the question, this and that and everything else and stuff. But as it got popular later on and stuff, you know, some people, I just think some people are legitimately really <laughs> oh, oh, let's uh, talk about YouTubeable moment. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, oh they, man, what's the guy? The older guy's name that first started. Oh, Richard Dawson. Rich, oh yeah, there's the one where they had the military guy. He said, "Name one of the three bears." He said, "Yogi." And then Richard Dawson, <laughs> he's trying to keep his composure, and it's like this man flies planes for us. He flies jets for us. So there've been plenty of stupid yeah, answers yeah. over the years. There's just no way to record it. And, and I hate to say. Yeah, I'm not hating on that. I think it's funny I, because those people were legitimately like, hey, they just thought was the first thing that came to their head. Like the one he asked, name an animal that has three letters. He said, the alligator. He said, are you sure? <laughs> but in that situation, there's no, as yeah. uh, Card Against Humanity says, there's no take backsies. Once you say it, it's yes, there. Yes, Once you say it, yes, we're going to look at you like, did, did you really say it? But like I say, but as Steve Harvey got there, it's like people answer the question, and some people, there are some questions that, hey, you know what, this might be an answer. Like the one question they asked the lady, name something that gets smaller as you get older. And <laughs> the first thing she said was your penis. And I mean, like I say, maybe the first thing she thought of. I'm not sure. Or maybe she did just be funny. But, you know, I thought it was funny. But they're like kind of making a mockery out of it now. They always get these fans on here, and they had to act stupid and everything else and stuff. I, just, I don't think it's... Being on a game show, and maybe it's different because after being on Sports Jeopardy, Sports Jeopardy and Jeopardy within itself is a little more academic, more scholarly, more knowledge-based. And seeing some of these other game shows, they go for more characters with more personality. They go for people that you'll want to root for. And which is great, because I feel like with anything, you need someone that people will want to watch. I I, I love Jeopardy. I think Jeopardy by far, Jeopardy has kept integrity. Alex Trebek, he's the one that's carrying the show, and by him doing these, by doing the lyrics and stuff for rap songs, and Alex Trebek got a good personality and stuff. Yeah. I think he he makes the show what it is, and then he carries it over to the contestants and stuff. Most contestants on there are shy, so of course you're not going to get no type of crazy answers, you know, like from Sean Connery. You'll occasionally get someone who's losing. They someone put a Turd Ferguson reference on yeah. their Final Jeopardy answer. I mean. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing was, uh, I don't know if you saw the, it was a high school teen tournament years ago. This one kid, his name was Leonard Cooper, and he looked like teenage Michael Jackson. Had the big fro, same skin complexion, same nose, or nostrils, as Eddie Griffin would say. Same thing. Came to the Final Jeopardy question on the final day of the tournament. The question was about, this person said, this is your day in history. I, I can't think of the question in, in particular, but he wrote... Because he did the math, apparently. It's like, I don't know, some guy who was in World War II, but I just won $50,000. And he won the money because he did the math right. Because if he didn't do the math right, he, oh boy, he would have been on YouTube for all the wrong reasons. And it's things like that. And the one thing that Trebek said, that's the thing I love about these tournaments because they have great personalities and they have a great sense of humor. And I feel like that Jeopardy, fairly or unfairly, gets this whole knock that it's so stiff and rigid and it's so upper crusty and so intellectual. Let me tell you, though, the one thing I learned from Jeopardy is that 
it doesn't matter how much history, you know, how much art, you know, how much modern stuff, you know. It's just like, if you know, common sense stuff. There was stuff on there that people had these PhDs and degrees and stuff couldn't answer a simple question that you're like completely different than me, but like simple questions that I would answer that I would know like, wow, how you didn't know that because it's just so simple and stuff. But see, for you, you study there and you study all different types of fields. I'm sure you take that smart person on regular Jeopardy, put on sports Jeopardy, to the dumbest person in the world. <laughs> Well, it depends. And there's a funny thing, and I'm trying to break myself of the habit saying of here's a funny thing. But one thing I've seen on Jeopardy, especially now since Sports Jeopardy is no longer in production at the moment, is that there was a lot of sports questions being put on Jeopardy now. And then we saw the one, the football category, where nobody got a single one of them right. That's what I'm saying. How are you this intelligent, but you don't know anything about at least 5% of sports? I don't understand that. How are you just intelligent? You know, 100% of history and 100% of art, 100% of what are the next Hubble telescopes coming up, but you don't know 5% of what team won the Super Bowl last year. That's crazy. People don't know that. <laughs> and to this day, I can get you a survey and ask who won the Super Bowl last year. Uh, the Patriots? <laughs> That's the answer most people give me. <laughs> like I said, the biggest thing is that it's not even just sports, TV and pop culture. Yeah. So people are out of tune with that. And, oh, oh, man, makes it even worse. Black history. Ah, there was a category about the historical thing, and they were talking about the city in North Carolina where four black students sat at a counter to protest segregation. Yeah. No one got it right. Someone said Charlotte, someone said Raleigh, and then no one knew it was Greensboro. Some of those things... It's not being taught. Oh, it's not, yeah. It's not being well, taught in school. Yeah, come on, we already know that. Not, it's, not being, it's not being taught. I'm not going to lie about it. Like I said, going to an HBCU, <laughs> reading about those stories, being black, you sort of know some of those stories, and not everybody knows that. I didn't live it. You didn't live it. But a lot of people part, know that stuff. It's part of our history. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah, there's some questions. Somebody, uh, and when it comes to stuff about black history... You know, it goes back to the Chris Rock joke about, and he's like, he thought he'd be safe. All he had to do was say Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King. And then they asked him about a question about Rosa Parks. He's like, which woman stood on the bus, refused to give up her seat on the bus? He's like, woman, uh, Martina Luther King. And things like that. And it's like, (laughs) and it's just, I mean, believe me, I am far from knowledgeable on African-American history, but I know enough that if I were to get on Jeopardy, if the Final Jeopardy question came about African-American history, people are done. A lot of people are done. They might put zero. Yeah. Zero or nothing. Like, yeah. for example, Maybe. there was a question on the September 13th episode of Jeopardy, Final Jeopardy. It is, I think it was American Cities. The category, I think it was American Cities. And it talked about Ronald Reagan. And so it involves history, geography, and it involves sports. Because here's a question. A movie film starring Ronald Reagan, known for his most famous role, had its premiere in this city. I think it was 1944 or so. The first thing that came to mind, when you think of Ronald Reagan as an actor, what is the most famous role that you can think of? There's only one. And and I knew that from the beginning. They wanted the city where the movie debuted. If you think of his movie, then it'll give you the clue... And then it'll I never knew he acted. I've never seen it, but he had this role in Newt Rockney All American, where he's the punter George Gipp, and he's like win one for the Gipper. Oh. First thing, he was George Gipp. He played for Notre Dame. Notre Dame is in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, Not South a single Bend, person Indiana. got it. South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know one that. One person got Indianapolis, 
right state, wrong city, and everybody else couldn't think of it. If I was on there and I had the third place person's total, and I went all in like she did, I would have won. I would have beat every single person on there. And there are people who had three times as much as she did. Did she win? No, nah, she lost. But seriously, because she had 6,600, somebody else had 17,000, somebody else had 14,000. If she got it right, bet it all. The other guy who was in the lead bet about 8,000. Got it wrong. Would have beat everybody. And just like I think about my final episode of Sports Jeopardy. Had I only bid 5,000 as opposed to trying to make sure I beat second place by one, I win. But I'm not upset about that. It's all about wagering. And that's the big thing that... You gotta take chances in life. You got to. Yeah. And so what, is, what if you didn't? What if you didn't if you got it right? And he got it right and he bet it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing. If you ever get a chance, look behind the scenes on Jeopardy and Final Jeopardy, and you see in the control room how they do the behind the scenes stuff in the control room, the people in the control room can see what the answers are before anybody else, and they sort of relay that to Alex after that. Because they'll have three black screens up when it's Final Jeopardy. You'll see them yeah. writing their answer yeah. in there. And they'll say, like, oh, number two doesn't have it right, number three doesn't have it right, and number one has it, and they'll go from there. And <laughs> So I was trying to hear it, and they were winning it up. Oh, yeah, because they'll relay it to them. No, no there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, nothing you got to. I mean, that. just like if you watch the NFL on Fox or some other pregame show, they got the mic in their ear, so they're telling them, okay, you got 30 seconds left, time to go to commercial. Yeah. Yes, like the referee and pro wrestling, uh, like, hey, time, <laughs> time to go home, folks. Time to go, go home, home folks. <laughs> yeah, and that's basically what it is. And it's funny just watching some of these game shows, and I'm just sitting back and watching a lot of these game shows. I'm watching some of these Jeopardies. I feel like the Jeopardies may have been harder maybe 10, 15 more years ago than they are yeah, now, yeah. but... I think now Jeopardy's a little more... It's getting a little more easier. I don't think easier. It's still tough. But back then, man, them questions... I don't even know any of them questions back then. And I look at it, maybe I would have thought it was harder then, but some of those, I probably would have gotten... At my age now, if I were on Jeopardy in like 1985, 86, I probably could have did well instead of getting a trip or a box of rice and roni as a parting gift. <laughs> or from a... These pills, I know black people, you know, menthol cigarettes and, uh, and the Murray Harris dressing, <laughs> pomade. Oh, I was going to say, when you said Murray's, I was thinking, you talking about those Murray's frozen foods? Murray's frozen food. Oh, people man. People on those. Those are really good food. They were, uh, they were. They were. They came in the, in the, the black box, get in like, the black box, right? With the orange, with the orange lettered Murray's. The Murray's Sometimes you get the meatballs, yeah. the chicken. Yeah, yeah, Murray's, yeah, 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 yeah. The burgers, the riblets. One of the saddest days was when they closed down the Murray's in Salisbury, Maryland, and put Brilliant Jiu-Jitsu Studio there. And... Yeah, it was very disappointing because, man, where else are you going to get those good frozen meats? They're better than half of the stuff you would get at a discount store like Save-A-Lot. You can't find it anywhere now. Well, uh, one time in Princess Anne, Price Cutters and Princess Anne near the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, they would sell a lot of the Murray's food. I mean, they'd sell everything there, but I mean, that's probably a store that catered to the broke college student. (laughs) But definitely. Any stores in these college towns are now taking their gall cards. Like, hey, you know. I'm glad they started taking a hall card, too, because most people who go to Salisbury University have no reason to go to Princess Anne at all unless they actually live there. Yeah. If you migrate from Princess Anne or UBS to come to Salisbury, most of those stores on that strip cater to the hall card and the gold card now. So they're finding ways to reach students and finding ways to exploit them more. They take more money out of their pockets, you know, even though they got this money on here. 
And like I said, everybody thinks all these businesses do things for yeah. the sake of stuff. No, if you can make money off of it, well, you, why not? it helps. Why not? why not? Why not exploit the hell out of people? That's if people model. are dumb enough to buy stuff, they'll yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. And people will. That's people will. Like, for instance, like I'm saying, I'm a big Apple fan. I love Apple. See, I even sat there and watched the Apple event on September 12th. And as I was looking at it, and I like to say, and prior to it, I was reading people's comments and stuff because this one person, this one gentleman I follow on YouTube, Techie Agent, he does a lot of about technology, and his thing is about healthy fitness. So he was talking about the new Apple Watch and how speculation, what this had, what it had, and everything else. And after looking at the Apple Watch Series 4, I was like, all right, cool. I said, didn't make me budge when it changed my mind just for me to not keep my Apple Watch 3 because, one, it still doesn't track your sleep automatically. But they had a whole bunch of other features and stuff that some people will love and some people will hate. And the same thing with the phones. They announced three new iPhones, iPhone XS, iPhone X Max, iPhone R. And like I said, I got an iPhone 6 Plus S, and it still doesn't need to do for me and everything else and stuff. But guess what? They are exploiting the hell out of people because you know people just got the last iPhone X was cost a thousand dollars last year, and they're coming to get the new XS or X Max or you know people are taking out equity loans from their homes just to get that new phone, which is crazy. And I, I don't get. I'm just saying it's, 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 these companies know what they're doing. They're exploiting the hell out of people. Great Simpsons reference. The episode where Lisa was getting fed up with the Malibu Stacy dolls because you'd pull the string and they would say a lot of old, outdated, uh, misogynistic, something about dinner not being ready. I need to make sure dinner's ready or my husband is happy and all this stuff. And so her and Smithers come out with a doll that's modern and has this look that's counter to Malibu Stacy. But then Malibu Stacy creators come out with the same version of Malibu Stacy with a bow in its hair. It's like, why are you guys buying this new Malibu Stacy doll? Because it's got a bow! Yeah, it's the same yeah. doll with a bow. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not taking anything from Apple. Cause Apple was the first company to hit a trillion dollars, and followed by Amazon. So I'm not taking anything from it. Pay people in marketing to do this, and they see what people want, what they crave. Guess what? They could have done this. They could have had an iPhone 6s Plus, maybe something different, kept the same stuff in there, and guess what? Boom, we have a new iPhone 10, just like that. And people still buy it. Because yeah. it's the newest iPhone, that's why. And <laughs> probably it's a better battery. That's the only difference between the iPhone X and the iPhone 6, probably a better yeah. battery. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the same thing with Samsung. Uh, Samsung come out with a device. See, the only way with Samsung, and I see how the strategy is, the only way they can exploit Apple fans or Apple people to come over to them is to talk about Apple and how crappy their products is and anything else. That's how you get... Now, oh, cool, guess what? You want this? Guess what? We've been had this for the last four years and everything else and stuff. So that's how Samsung gets their product. Yeah, like the Samsung commercial, I think, where you see the people taking the photo of the iPhone and their data's out yeah. or their space is run out where they're using the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now, which is ingenious. It's a good yeah. idea. Sometimes you got to exploit yeah. your competition's flaws. Exactly. All Apple has to do is show a Samsung tablet on fire, even yeah. though they probably fix those issues. That's just to the same thing. If Apple wanted to be Apple wanted to be so nasty to Samsung, they could have been just like this. Oh, the next big thing, next big thing just blew up in your car. Boom. Guess what? Now your car is <laughs> in a commercial, just like that. Fear tactics. That's all you got to do. You know, they had Firestone tires and all those times. You never saw a Goodyear talk about Firestone tires catching on fire or blowing up and things like that. You never saw that. Yeah, even even to this day, uh, Microsoft will not ever, I mean, dare ever say anything bad about Sony if it comes to video. I don't ever think they will say anything stupid about that because Microsoft knows better. Microsoft knows that Sony outsells their systems three to one. 
are two to one now. Like I say, a lot of people doing the talking are fanboys. The fanboys are doing the talking. And that they don't have a decent third-party baseball game either. That's yeah. another issue that Microsoft has. Exactly. And what's in the baseball game is, is in-house for Sony anyway. They Same can year. do their own. I mean, there is no there's no contract anymore. 2K Sports isn't doing, or is it Take-Two or whoever, uh, isn't doing the baseball games anymore. And which is sad because there could have been so much potential for those 2K baseball games, but yeah. they were so glitchy and they were so awful exactly. that yeah. they were like, we're going to cut our losses and just work on the basketball. So what happened now is that MLV is putting their hand in the pot. Uh, so let's sponsor... RBI baseball. That's what and they're doing. It's not at. good. It, yeah. it doesn't even look good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a game on the uh, PlayStation Store called Super Mega Baseball 2. That game looked better than freaking the RBI baseball. Yeah. I mean, hey, I like their ingenuity, and I know they're trying to make it more arcade style instead of like simulation style, which is great, but that's a big gripe that a lot of MLB The Show fans were having about the most recent edition that come out. I'm a big transaction junkie when it comes to like playing a franchise mode. There seemed like there was less yeah. franchise options just looking at the video for it, yet it feels like people who just want to drop in and play a game, yeah, that's great for them, but what about the people who like doing franchise modes? Yeah, I enjoy franchise mode on, on the show 16 to 17. It actually makes you sit there and you play the game, and after the off-season comes, you got to make sure you got to keep all your special players and everything. Rule 5, yeah, guys, got to make deals. Yeah, and to be honest with you, as I was playing that game and doing the off-season stuff like that, I learned a lot more how the off-season works now because you got to, you know, all these rules and regulations and this and that. I, I didn't realize all that stuff. I always hear it on TV, but I never knew what it really meant until playing that game and doing it. And I feel like them in MLB The Show, having a primer on things you need to know about the off-season, the Rule 5 draft, the winter meetings, trade deadline, arbitration, and other stuff like that, I think is a great idea. I feel like they can expound on it a little more. I think with a game like that with a franchise mode and seeing that it's doable on madden i feel like relocating a team in a game would be maybe going a little too far especially like when you find out the issue in baseball and the nba and together doing expansion teams is already tough enough as it is because not a lot of teams are making money but yeah, maybe yeah, true. an idea of like they do with nba now nba 2k has the great point you can not only relocate, but you can update your brand. You, I have NBA 2K16, and just through being connected to the internet, if you do a My GM mode or My Franchise, you can upload from a database of different logos that people submit. You can put, okay. for example, like if you wanted to go back to the old San Antonio Spurs logo, if you find it, which is the only problem they have is trying to find those logos. If you can find the logo that you're looking for, you can upload that and use that as your brand. That's your brand. You can change your uniforms and things like that. Maybe a live 18 and uh, playing it and just briefly going through it and stuff. It's amazing. And like I said, I play 2K17. I know some 2K fans might like to kill me for this comment, but me playing in the live 18, I thought it was better than the 2K. Honestly, I thought it was better than 2K. Does NBA Live have, like, a story mode like uh, 2K uh, does? So, like I said, I briefly went through it. So, if I – next time I play it, I'll go through it and see what else they got. But, like I'm saying, they the graphic-wise and the control is smooth. It was smoother than 2K. I was like, man, this is this has potential and stuff. And they're coming out with another Live 19 this year. And I'm sure they're going to fix whatever they messed up in 
18 and then expand off of that. As long as uh, Andrew Bynum's not in the middle of the court holding the ball, then it should be fine. <laughs> and see, that's the biggest thing. Live used to be, think about it, all those commercials back in the 90s. Live was the preeminent game. That was the only NBA official game that you had. EA Sports had a market on that. Even had two different versions of NBA games. They had that and NBA Showtime, which really wasn't that much different, except you couldn't do all the trading and things like that. Yep. But NBA Live. But before EA took over that, remember Tecmo had baseball, football, and basketball as well. Yeah, and what happens is, as everybody made the jump to the next-gen systems, Tecmo did a Tecmo Bowl for PlayStation, and it did not get the greatest reviews. Yeah, because that was like 96, 97, because it was the first Tecmo game to have the Ravens in it. Yeah. After playing PS4 or playing the most recent next-gen system, doesn't matter if it's Xbox One or PS4, you go back and play an older system. I was just playing Xbox, and I was playing the original Xbox, and I was playing Tiger Woods Golf. It is such (laughs) a stark contrast between what you'd see on a next-gen system and then what you see on some of the older-gen ones. And it's so weird. And it's trying yeah. to get acclimated to that. Once you get acclimated to it again, it's all child's play. I feel like those older systems sort of prepared you for what you're playing now. The original Nintendo will get you prepared for the Switch or things like that. Yeah, that's true. I, I, think, I agree. I completely agree. Think about it. You had A and B on, on the <laughs> Nintendo. Then, uh, then yeah. you had the A, B, X, Y on Super Nintendo. You had the A, B, C on certain Sega games. And then you had the A, B, C, X, Y, Z buttons. And then you go to N64. Yeah, and, I mean, Lord, never played Neo Geo. Never tr- played the... Trigger, tr- trigger, trigger B and yeah. uh, move this analog, the D-pad, yeah. and two little yellow ones and all that other stuff. And then PlayStation came out with its first controller. It was just a skinny controller with the D-pad, the triangle, the circle, the square. L and R. Just one L and one R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The L and R. It didn't start and select. That was it. Now come PlayStation 2. There you go. Now they got the, a shot. Yeah, and, PlayStation and then PlayStation 3. and then Xbox. And really, I think from looking at the Xbox controllers, don't look like they've changed that much from no. Xbox One all the way to the original Xbox. That's one thing. I must admit, as a Sony fanboy, as a Sony game player, I adore the Xbox controller. I love the Xbox controller. It just feels right in your hand. The Sony controller is okay in the hand, but I love the Xbox controller. Other than that, that the only time you ever hear me saying the word but love and Xbox in the same sentence because <laughs> anything Xbox I do not like separate and, controller. And I think that might be an issue more content wise of games too. You might be limited with certain things that you can only get on PlayStation. But like yeah. I said, I'm more of a sports video game fan and the two K games were just so atrocious I couldn't play them anymore. Yeah. Even going back to PlayStation two and some of those World Series 2K ones that Sega made uh, partnering with 2K, they were not good. The football no. games were good. The football games were good. And I feel like the NFL dropped the ball giving EA the exclusive rights to the NFL because it doesn't make sense. And they gave them a shot. I mean, they didn't give 2K a shot because remember at one point in time, Madden was the game come out 50 bucks. Guess what? 2K, boom, $19 for the game. So guess what? They can sell two or three of those games getting one of them Madden. They will outsell them. Two or three to one by just doing that because, oh, they got another option for football game. Remember, Xbox came out and they had the Peyton Manning football? Yeah, NFL Fever. NFL and the thing fever, is, yeah. Sony and them can still do their own NFL game if they want because yeah, it, it was only excluded to third party. But if you do an in house NFL game, 
I guess they already saw we know where our bread's butter. We're just going to keep working on MLB The Show. The only problem is with MLB The Show, and just like with 2K Basketball, people are going to complain if you don't constantly upgrade it. Look yeah. at Madden. Everybody says it's not even worth spending the money on Madden. All it is is a glorified roster update. When I have a Madden, I think the one with Odell Beckham on it, I can just get this year's rosters by yeah. going through their server and finding somebody who took the time and effort in to make those rosters. And as a person who would sit hours and hours making rosters, that's the best thing in the world. I don't have to do a single thing. Just download it and upload it and play. And take this into account, too. So out of all game industry, we game for a long time. There's only one company that kept with it and stuck with it, and now they got a fabulous product. The creators of MLB The Show. Remember when we first started out, NFL yeah. Game Day? NFL game day, and then they had the MLB baseball. It was 99 Studios back then. Yeah. And they continue to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, and then boom, they finally got a wonderful product at MLB The Show. The first one was 2011 or 2012. They actually made everything awesome when it first came on PS3. Now to cut you off, I remember you talk about 989 Studios, and their intro would be 989 Studios. Yeah. We'd have this thing where it's like 989 sucks because they were bad. There was glitches in MLB yeah. 99 where you hit a home <laughs> run. run. You hit a home run. <laughs> yeah. You'd have a home run in RBI if you're first you go for one. You, yeah, you don't even have. You're not batting a thousand. You're batting zero. And you had a home run. And there's these little things that, I mean, going all the way back from MLB, what, Pennant Chase uh, to MLB 99. And then all of a sudden they got themselves together, what, starting in 06 with MLB The Show? I feel like, didn't it go back to like 06? What, The Show? MLB The Show, yeah. No, no. When did they they start playing MLB The Show? 08, 09. Oh, no, it might have been 06. Jeez. Well, I didn't start playing it until the PS3 came out. That was the first time I started playing it. Yeah, and once I saw that, it really got so much better. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about that glitch in the home run. I knew I was going to say something about the glitch. <laughs> MLB 06 The Show. That's when it started. <laughs> it came out February 06. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so I didn't know that. I started playing it when it was like PS3 came out in 7 or 8 or 9. So yeah, that's when I started playing the game. But yeah. I said, go back to the glitch. I was like, man, I said, as soon as I say 99 Studio, he's going to say something about the glitch. <laughs> the home run glitch. There's only a few video games that I talk about <laughs> with such disdain as that glitch. And that's one of them. Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> and I think everybody who's ever oh. played Dynasty Warriors knows <laughs> who <laughs> I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he would be the equivalent of One Punch Man because basically one hit would kill you. And, and I'm talking about Lubu. Yeah, okay, let, 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 the, uh, let your fans know how much frustration you have for that guy. Anybody who's played Dynasty Warriors, any version, <laughs> knows how tough Lubu is. You try to avoid getting anywhere near Lubu as long as you can until you get to Lubu. Because Lubu basically will kill you with one hit. Think of every death scene in every video game. From Mega Man exploding once he dies, Mario, his thing. Lubu is basically a one-man wrecking machine. And yeah, he lived up to the legend based on him. Very flamboyantly dressed with his pike and just wipes people out like someone going to a Walmart with a scimitar. Anyone who plays Cars Against Humanity gets that. Blue Boo is a very frustrating character. Normally, it would be F. Blue Boo. 
Everyone knows that. And I defy anyone who's played Dynasty Warriors. Tell me that there isn't anyone in that Dynasty Warrior series that is tougher than Lubu. Tell me that. And every time playing with a party of people, you inflict enough damage on Lubu, and then all of a sudden he goes into the, like, even levels beyond Super Shredder bad. <laughs> Lubu is very tough, and I feel like oh, if you man. can beat him, then you probably can beat the rest of the game. <laughs> I mean, alright, so, speaking of game-wise, I have heard from many people, the, the Dynasty Warriors, but there's a game that's so hard that many gamers who game get tired and frustrated and stop playing it. The whole Dark Souls franchise it's like, man, yeah, that game is so hard, man. I had to quit playing it, man. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And then if you beat the first one, the second one was even harder than the first one. And so on a soul for number three. There's a lot of people out there right now who is probably, after this recording and watching this podcast and stuff, they're going to hear my logo. They might, <laughs> you might get a load of emails. <laughs> or even two emails or comments would be enough to show that people are actually listening. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes trying to do those campaigns, man, you're already preoccupied trying to take over these certain areas. And then you have to worry about Lubu. And then it's not even the fact that you have to go to him. Sometimes he'll come towards you. He'll chase after you. That I did not know. I, I feel like it. Course. Again, we, we always try to stay away from the castle before we had no other choice to fight Lubu. <laughs> I had to sit down and play a full-fledged Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, another Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, it's been a long time. I feel like you can do a Dynasty Warriors with basically any pop culture franchise. You could do a Dynasty Warriors with Power Rangers. I mean, they were doing one with Gundam. You know, why not do one with like Power Rangers? Yeah, they did a Gundam one years ago. Again, I'm not a really big fan of anime, and not that I hate it. It doesn't intrigue me a lot, but I saw that. That's the first thing I saw. I saw Gundam. Dragon Their Gundam Ball. one looks like Voltron. <laughs> basically, when they come together, it's like, it looks like freaking Voltron. It's the same thing with, uh, they did a Dragon Ball Saga game where you actually could run around, like, and do role-playing, pick up the Dragon Balls, fight people. It's not like, not like a video game fighting style, but actually uh, walk around and actually do all types of different missions and everything else and stuff. Which I thought was awesome. I said, all right, cool. They're abandoning the side model of game fighting and doing something different, going out there element and stuff. What are your thoughts on e-gaming leagues? Do you consider that a sport? question. Alright, so I think e-gaming is a sport. Yeah, I think so. I think e-gaming is a sport. Because some are solo, some are teams. The majority of the tournament is team-based, I believe, right? I believe so. I think they have. Again, I don't watch the product. I have just always... It's taking an interest that you see it being on the forefront on ESPN now a little more yeah. than it ever was. And, yeah, and that's a whole different thing. Yeah, because I don't, i mean, be honest with you, I, I game, but I don't really care, pay too much attention about the whole gaming tournaments and stuff. It's like, like I said, your team just one shot to fly all across the country and play one tournament and lose. Guess what? Boom, now you have all this money and stuff. And gaming is all luck. I don't care what anybody say. People get 99 levels, 100 level rankings, but guess what? It takes more than one time to do it. You got to continue work on your craft. You got to continue to constantly keep spending money. You got to continue your life out just to get there. You know what I mean? Just to get to that like ranking and everything else and stuff. E-gaming, I think e-gaming is more of a sport than, than freaking poker. The world classic poker and stuff. I think that is. <laughs> and also, let's put it like this. If spelling bees are on ESPN... 
Okay. Why isn't it trivia? <laughs> like, for example, there was a point where Dan Patrick was trying to get Sports Jeopardy on ESPN. Yeah. It didn't it work out, did. which is very interesting because Keith Olbermann's on part of the interruption right now. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he fills in sometimes for, I think, Kornheiser or Wilbon, one of the two. And very interesting enough, there was talk at a point like last year or earlier this year, once they were trying to end the six with Jamel Hill and, and Michael Smith, but talking about, oh, this rumor, oh, they're trying to get Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman back to do the 6 o'clock Sports Center. And very interesting. It's like, oh, that's not true. Interestingly enough, what do you know? Keith Oberman's back at ESPN. And yeah. there was always rumor that Dan Patrick was talking about going back to ESPN. He had talked about how he wanted to put Sports Jeopardy on ESPN, and he wanted to have ESPN sort of take more of a role in his broadcasting school down in Florida. But there was never any talk about him being back on ESPN radio or on TV in general. But it is very interesting. I I know that was a weird jump to it, but how they were talking about getting those two, yet Oberman's there and Dan Patrick's not. And that means they were trying at one point. If Oberman all of a sudden got a job and doing part of the interruption. That's like trying to get Rich Eisen and come back. No, he ain't coming back. Uh, Look, Rich Eisen is sitting pretty as an NFL map. He's had nothing else to do. He has his radio show. He has, like I said, he's not going to be the face of NFL, you know, NFL Sunday or NFL. It's it's like it's like them asking Ernie Hudson to leave. Ernie Johnson. Johnson. I was going to say, I thought you were going to go Ghostbusters (laughs) reference, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Let's get to Ernie Hudson. Speaking of Ernie Hudson, have you seen that uh, picture of him holding that car for the auto repair thing? If you haven't seen it, I'll send it to you later, and you're going to be like, what the hell is this? But yeah, Ernie Johnson is not going to leave TNT to go to ESPN. No, he's been working for Turner for years, and he's from Atlanta. Why would you want to leave a cushy job in the city where you grew up? Why? He's only on, really, what, for like six months out of the year and maybe he'll yeah, do some baseball playoff games they probably get paid a little bit amount of money Tom Warner's got that money and you mean AT&T's gonna have that money <laughs> oh yeah and AT&T just bought Tom Warner yeah CNN as well and while we've had a discussion that just sort of goes everywhere, the biggest thing is we are peppering sports in, so at least I can say it is a sports episode. <laughs> and now, talking about, it's one of the biggest things as a former reporter, the biggest thing I hate using, and it's where you hear reporters say, talk about this, talk about that. You ask a question. You don't say, talk about this. That's a lazy way of asking someone a question. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to digress from that. Because I feel like the more and more I'm out of being a journalist or reporter, I fall into those lazy, cliched habits that they do. So I'll go this way. You are a fan of a lot of different teams that, honestly, from someone that lives in Maryland, I would not have expected. You are a fan of the San Antonio Spurs. You are a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. And you are a fan of the Seattle Mariners. Oh, and this year I'm a fan of the Boston Redskins, too. Wow. Alex Smith, yeah. <laughs> How did you become a fan of those three teams? None of them are even east of the Mississippi. Uh, someone asked me that question at work, and I, I simply put it to them as this. When we were growing up, Maryland didn't have a football team. So it either Washington Redskins or whoever else. So I decided, you know, hey, I'll start watching the 49ers when I could, and, you know, there it was. I'm a San Francisco 49ers team. It's quite simple. I started watching them, just like Seattle. I've seen highlights of Ken Griffey Jr. and the magic they had going on there. So 
that's how I became a Seattle Mariners fan because of Ken Griffey Jr. and how what they did with their team. And then from since then, I'm still a Seattle Mariners fan. No bandwagon fan at all. I've been jumping on the bandwagon like everybody else is doing. I'm a Seattle Mariners fan. You know, we traditionally do our Seattle Mariners game dating back to when mom took us to our first game together. Um, San Antonio Spurs team. I must say, I was a Bulls fan at first because of Jordan. After Jordan left, I was the Knicks fan. After a couple of years being a Knicks fan, I started being a uh, Spurs fan when David Robinson and Tim Duncan were there. And there it is. And my most recent team, the Iowa Hawkeyes. And someone asked me this question, too. They asked me this question. Like, how are you an Iowa Hawkeyes fan? I said, this is quite simple. I was watching college football one Saturday, and I seen the Hawkeyes play. I can't remember who they played, but I seen them play. I was like, oh, this is my team. Boom. And ever since I watched them on that day on ESPN, they were playing, like, every other Saturday on ESPN. So I got more and more exposure to watch them play and everything else and stuff. So that's how I became a fan of them. And the Washington Redskins fan this year, I told people at work, I said, listen, I'm on the Redskins bandwagon this year. I said, Alex Smith is going to prove you better than Kirk Cousins. Even though he's not going to have the contract as Kirk Cousins, I am saying that the Redskins will make the playoff this year. And they may or may not win their first game, but they're going to make a playoff with a lower price version of Kirk Cousins. He's in Minnesota right now, but guess what? That defense can only hide so many flaws of yours until you get tested in the big game and whatnot. And as a Redskins fan, I've seen times where the Redskins are maybe within a touchdown and then Kirk Cousins would throw an inopportune interception or hold on to the ball long. I ain't going to lie. Kirk Cousins Yeah, he's good. But that defense can only hide so many flaws that you have. Like I said, Drew Brees. We all knew Drew Brees was great. But guess what? The defense. That first game, that defense got shredded by Ryan Fitzpatrick of all people. Yes, exactly. I mean, we can go down the line of of players like Peyton Manning. The only reason why Peyton Manning was so good is that he can outscore another team. That is the only reason why he was so damn good. And if you look at the Indianapolis Colts, apparently the Colts – failed to learn from history because they didn't learn what happened last year with no Andrew Luck. They didn't learn the year that Peyton Manning was out with the neck issue. They learned nothing from that. You can't build a team all around a quarterback. You have to have a balanced team because if your quarterback goes down and he is the main player, you're screwed. The Patriots learned that. Even with Matt Castle in place of Tom Brady, they still won 11 games and missed the playoffs. But that's not their fault. That's just sort of bad luck. Because had it been any other year, they probably win the East very easily and make the playoffs. That's true. And I agree with you on that. Like I said, the Colts are, I feel like the way they build the front office and build the team, they've been through a bunch of coaches, two quarterbacks over like the past 10 years, a number of coaches, a number of GMs. Only one team got it right. One team got it right. One team got it right and got a backup. Okay, two teams. I'm going to say two teams got it right with a backup. And that's the Green Bay Packers, Brett Favre, transition from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And then the first play was Tom Mattel, the Cordell Stewart, and he went to Ben Roethlisberger. I actually say this. The Oilers slash Titans had it right, too. They let McNair sit for a couple of years, not oh, get yeah, the wear yeah, and tear. Yeah, 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 they yeah, let yeah. Was it Chris Chandler. I'm not sure who it was who was starting. But, yeah, they let C. McNair sit a lot, and then they threw him into the fire, and then he was ready. And it helped with his career. Yeah, the only problem was the wear and tear eventually caught up with him, especially as a quarterback. Yeah, that's agreeable. That is very, very agreeable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the most hated person in sports to this day, according to Baltimore Ravens fans, is Joe Flacco. <laughs> nah, like I said, he's, no, he, better, he, he's better than Trent Dilfer by a long shot. No, no, no. He's the reason, he's the reason why the team is bad, because that, that $120 million contract. This is not me saying this. These are Ravens fans who told me this. He said the reason why the team is so bad is because Joe Flacco and the $120 million contract. 
Hey, if you're going to get your money, the reason that the Ravens should have had more Super Bowls than they had, they gave Elvis Gerbach all this money, and he crapped the bed, and he wasn't as good as advertised, and then you had to purge the whole roster because you couldn't afford anybody anymore. So it happens, and the NFL is going to happen. That's why uh, the Khalil Mack thing with Chicago, it sort of works because you have the money you can afford to pay Khalil Mack while you have a young quarterback who's under a rookie deal. That won't work in three years uh, yeah. where you have you to purge the roster again. and basically clear things out. Like, for example, the Rams got uh, maybe two more good years before you have to start worrying about Jared Goff and having Jared to pay Goff. him. Yeah, those are owners and GMs and whoever else, they've been doing this for a while, so they know what exactly what they're doing. But like you're saying, yeah, when it comes time to pay him after his contract, though, what are you going to do? Then the same thing with Russell Wilson. When his contract expired, were they going to pay him this lucrative money or were they going to have him pursue elsewhere and stuff? You know, he still had a career in baseball if he wanted to play. <laughs> yeah, he was not good of an infielder. But actually, I'm glad you said that. You know, in this age of athletes being so good, having these physical abilities, you don't see people do two sports anymore. Two sports at the same time. Is it because of the investment? Is it because that they've been hair, so man. used to specializing in one sport for a long time? This wear and tear, make Name me one successful person besides Bo Jackson. Dion. <laughs> uh, you think Dion was great in baseball? Yeah, he wasn't a home run hitter, but he stole like 50 bases a couple times. Like last time I seen Dion, a ball hit him in his head and went over the fence. Dion Sanders stole 56 bases as a 29-year-old with Cincinnati in 1997. 273, 329 on-base percentage. Deion Sanders' best year statistically was 1994, where he hit 283, 342 on-base percentage. Never had over 10 home runs in a season, but his, you know what, his best statistical year, I take that back, was 1992. He only played 97 games. 304, batting average. 346 on-base. 14 triples, 6 doubles, 92 hits, 28 RBI, 26 stolen bases, caught stealing only 9 times. Eight homers. That's his best statistical season. And think about it. He probably left halfway through the year that the Braves went to the World Series to play football with the Falcons. That is the only thing. I feel like you have to play two sports where they don't intertwine. Well, yeah, every sport intertwines. Yeah. It's hard to you, find that. Yeah, you but, have to play basketball. basketball. It's going to be, it's gonna be hockey, basketball and hockey. Basketball, hockey, yeah. football, baseball, baseball, football, or vice versa. Football is going to be basketball as well. But here's the thing. You have to play NBA and then play baseball and play for a crappy NBA team and a crappy baseball team in order to play both sports and not have that much of a schedule conflict. And again, yeah, exactly. now the money is too big. You can't risk it anymore. No, you can't risk it anymore. Yeah. That's how it is. How Those it days is. of two sport athletes, they're done. They're done. It'd be oh, nice yeah. to see it, but it they're won't done. happen. They're done. They're not going to see it ever. They'll never see it ever again. Yeah, you may get drafted in two sports. Like, Dave Winfield was drafted in three or four sports. Well, think about it, too. Uh, athletes back then were stronger than athletes now because an athlete now can sneeze and his ribs are broken and he gets out for a month or so. Athletes back then, man, they took it on the chin and coming out the next night ready to play some ball. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like society, you know? <laughs> society back then was a lot tougher than what it is now. Point blank. I mean, it was about football, man. I was used to quarterbacks throwing the ball across the middle Robert receivers catching it and getting their ass knocked off. Now yeah. you do that. That's a penalty. Guess what? That's part of the game. You want someone to slow down to try to hit you? Come on, man. That's going to cause more injury than what are you going to do. That's how I feel about that, man. That's oh, yeah. I was going back to, I mentioned Dave Winfield. I could have swore James Brown on the NFL and CBS was drafted by a couple of sports teams, but 
So Dave Winfield was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks of the NBA, the Utah Stars of the ABA. He was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, and he was drafted by the San Diego Padres. You only play one sport. Yeah, and he only played baseball. I mean, it's not too much wear and tear on your body. You're playing 16 regular season games in football, and they all play 162 games in baseball, and then you got to play playoffs after that, too. Man, you play almost 190 games of baseball. I mean, you're playing almost 200 games a year. And when are you going to have a chance, chance to rest, relax, have your body recover? And again, most like Bo Jackson couldn't do it the way he was doing at that rate. Well, the hip, well, yeah, it was written that the hip injury was a fluke because almost 25 years ago, no one knew the severity of the injury. If they had treated it right away, he would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, well, we all seen that show, The Playmakers, on ESPN. That's why I saw all on sale. Playmaker exposed the hell out of NFL, out of football in general. Exposed the shit out of them. I don't care anybody say. I love that series. It dealt with gay players. It dealt with players having domestic users. issues, users, and everything else. And, stuff. And, and I love playmaking, man. And someone asked me what my favorite sport movie was. I said, by far, the best sports movie, in my opinion, to me. I like Rudy. Rudy is for the happy-go-lucky people. Like, hey, oh, you know, he's short. get a chance to play football for one of the most prestigious colleges in the world. My favorite sports movie of all time is the program. And I ask people, have you seen the program? Like, no, i never seen it. i never knew a movie called a program. It's been years. That's doing James Conn, right? James Conn. I mean, it, we watched the one program. where they lie down on the road while the cars are coming and all that? Yeah, yep. It's been years since I've seen that movie. Oh, but man. And my old high school football player, Griffin, he played that movie for us one day. One day before, we had to play on a game Friday, and he put a movie on for us. That's by far one of the best sports movies, I, because it's real shit. It's not just fake movies like all the other football movies and stuff. I like Any Given Sunday, kind of towards the program, but the program is real life shit. And let people know what's going on, how the, how these players are getting exposed to all these sponsors, are getting paid underpaid money, and all these problems in one thing, trying to run the team and everything else. That's my favorite sports movie. I'm sure people were like, oh, they're not the best sports movie in the world. Maybe not to them, or maybe never seen it before. It, it may change their mind. And I think, of course, with that movie being in the 90s, things may have changed. May have changed. And it's dumb because the NCAA, you've heard about the issue at the University of Maryland with the football player dying. Yeah. Yep. The NCAA was created to prevent people from dying during football games because there were times, I think one guy broke his neck. Yeah, I mean, you know, and of course, and you see how, how dangerous the wedge is when it comes to kickoff returns. But, and the NCAA is a joke, in all honesty, because... Yeah. The key was to keep players safe. They can't do that now. Kids die all the time. In the state of Maryland, that's happened in college football. That's probably happened at least four times. There's one that happened in Morgan. There's one that happened in Maryland. There's one that people ever talk about that happened at Frostburg a couple of years ago. That wasn't even that long ago. The Frostburg incident happened a couple of years ago. And those things happen, unfortunately. And I feel like, and I'm not going to say it's all football. People need to know in a situation like that, football has this whole bravado of warriors and gladiators, an environment now where there's actual real wars and real battles going on. On. Everybody been trying to de-emphasize the use of warriors and gladiators and things like that. But football is this game yeah. that's become nobleized, especially because of its old territorial might makes right type theory. And again, nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. Think about yeah, it. Yeah. To all, if you have to listen to a lot of the NFL film soundtracks, listen to it. It sounds like something you'd hear maybe during the, the World War One, World War Two, the flutes and the trumpets and things like yeah. that. I love the classic film. And the thing is, there's a big issue, and I don't think it's an issue of being tough and not being tough enough and everybody being soft. It's being smart. It's being smart, and I, I think uh, I think from my personal experience playing football is that if you have a coaching staff 
that gives a fuck about you, that's the difference between you being unhealthy and you being healthy. Because you know what I'm saying? Well, I played football for Snow Hill. Uh, Coach Stan Griffin, he understands you're an athlete, but you are a student first. And he made that decision. He would take his best player. If your grades weren't up to par, he will bench you. He, he would rather take a loss and then sit here to have a star player not do well in the classroom. He made sure, I want, I want scholars and I want athletes. That's how he did it on our football team. He did it with his son, too. I don't, know, I don't follow him or not, but his son, Shay, is like a three-fourths player, and he got a, um, a full-ride scholarship to Fairland Dickerson University and stuff because that's how he did us when playing football. You go to scholars and be an athlete at the same time. Like I said, you know, nowadays coaches in high school and coaches in college and, and everything else, so on and so forth, I don't think worry about just making the big next star, and that's it. They're not really giving a damn about the player. Just, hey, you know what? You're going to push, 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 and that's it. That's all you're going to do. You know what I mean? They don't care. You know what I mean? I, I think they don't care, but that's my opinion. And I will say this. Actually, and it's funny. There was a team, and I think it was Wicomico High School. Their coach at one time would make a priority. You had to have a certain grade point average in order to be on the team, not just the minimum. You had to have a 3.0 in order to play. So that way, make sure you're doing your work, you're doing the homework, and things like that. But he also made a priority of your sole focus is football only. No basketball, no baseball, nothing else, which I think is a detriment there because you have some of the better athletes are the ones who play multiple sports. Yeah, that's true. But uh, as earlier in your uh, when your interview with Duran, as Duran discussed, his first time playing football, he was a baseball star. He did get hurt. He did get hurt. Oh, yeah, we know plenty of people yeah. who played football and got hurt that hampered their ability to play. Myself, myself games. included. I had two injuries. One, when I dislocated, snapped my ankle for football, and two, in baseball, which uh, pretty much sidelined me for the rest of my career playing baseball when I had a foul ball hit off the bat and bust me in my face. And from that moment on, I didn't play baseball anymore for Snow Hill. It was my senior year, but I didn't play anymore baseball that year. And yeah, I went ahead. I should have done it the right way, but I went ahead and, and quit. You know what I mean? And that was the wrong thing I should have done. Was it the concussion that made you decide that? Was it a lack of playing time? What was it that sort of made you decide to quit? The, it was a lack of playing time, for one. And for two... It was the fact that now I was starting and everything else, and then I came to glorify scorebook keepers. And there was other players on the bench who could have done that, though. I should have did it the right way. I should have finished out the season. Maybe I had a chance to play in again. But, you know, I was just frustrated. Not only did I get an injury, but now I have to sit here and, and do the book. Now I'm treated like I'm not a player. I'm just now part of the coaching staff, you know what I mean? Like I saying, they have people who do the book. Why would you want your players to do it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've done the book before, and sometimes you feel like you're not a part of the team where you get classified as part of the team when you are just a scorekeeper. Yeah, I'm doing a book now for softball. Guess what? Because I'm still able to play, and I'm still part of the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was selfish on my part by me quitting and like, oh, you know, I'm not getting time to play and stuff. But, you know, I was a kid. I was a teenager. I learned from that. I'm better than what I am now. I'm better now than I was back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, I played JV football. I quit halfway through. I only reason I went back on because I wanted to make sure I get the picture. Well, mom wanted to make sure I, I got the pictures that she paid for. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the main yeah. reason I only went back. <laughs> I'm going to give him money for like mom says. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like now, uh, as a parent, if you have a kid that plays a sport, I have no issue if you don't want to play it again after the season, but you're going to yeah. finish out the season. And, and from that moment, from when I quit, when I quit playing baseball because I was so frustrated, that moment on, when I said to myself, when I have kids and, when, and even now, 
and I'm not going to put it in the middle of something. If I don't like it, I'm going to do it, and after that, I'm not going to do it no more. I'm going to pass it along to our kids, like, hey, you're going to play this sport. You don't have to like it, but, you know, you never know. Give it a chance. You might enjoy it. If you don't like it after this season, then you don't have to play it again. I'm not going to force them. I'm going to force them to play that year, but I'm not saying sure they're going to make them quit. You're not going to quit. It won't be quitters. They're not going to be quitters in this family. I did it one time before. I felt bad about it. I damn sure nobody else is going to do it ever again. And the biggest thing is, and then you have these issues with parents interjecting themselves into to youth sports, especially when they are not coaching. They exactly. always want to run their yeah. mouth but not want to coach or officiate or things like that. And I see that all the time. Yeah, I, I saw it I, as a player. I, I saw it as a reporter. You see parents love to interject themselves in the things. They love living through their kids' past glory. They love running their mouth but wouldn't back it up by putting the effort in to come out and help be a coach. Exactly. And see – and we have a discussion at work, man. We all, we have all these types of discussions at work, basically about life. And in the sports situation came up about kids. Recently, I remember playing ball. If your team was the first, second, or third, you got no trophy. You got a participation paper. That's it. Yeah. Thank you for playing. Now, parents are so saw my kid deserves a participation trophy. So the same trophy that your kid getting for just playing the sport and the person who will team the players on the teams that are first, second, third place get the same trophy. Well, each trophy is going to keep decreasing the size. The third place team get the same trophy. The fourth place team gets them. You know, kids are going to look at it like, you know, what the hell is the point? It's like, if I work hard, if I train hard, if I, you know, continue to do what I have to do to prove myself, this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to be just like everybody else. These people get this mentality now. It's like, you know, that's why people are so snooty now. It's like, I have to be number one because if not... I'm on a low total pole like everybody else. I don't want to be like everybody else. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you put the work in. Don't yeah. expect it to be given to you. Exactly. You have to put the work in to be number one. I don't think LeBron James comes out on the court and says, I'm going to be number one. Give me all these accolades. He earns the accolades. People may not like yeah. him, but the man works. The man puts the exactly. work in. People may not like Kobe Bryant. The man put the work in. People may not like Michael Jordan. And so on. The best people put in the work. Yep. You can't skate on just skills alone. You put the work. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, when it comes to sports and stuff, a team should not be giving anything. You work hard, and then, you know, your hard work's going to pay off. And just like, oh, well, I did this, and I participated, so I deserve a trophy. That's how parents are now, and how local little league teams are, too. It's these little clicks they have. There can be a player that's way better than another player on another team. Guess what? That other kid's going to make the all-star just because his dad's friend is the coach of the team. That's why. But the other kid gets slowed over because he's not in the click and stuff. Yeah, now that's the same thing with somebody who's making an issue over travel teams as opposed to little league teams. Travel teams are for the rich. Let's be honest. Travel teams are for the rich. Yeah. Little league, senior league, junior league teams, the ones that play together those are the ones where you know not everybody has the money but they're gonna play i feel like sometimes some sports are starting to get a specialized where all of a sudden it's how much money you have yeah. as opposed to how good you are i'm so glad you said that i am so glad you said that because we had a discussion at work about that too i said the same thing i said double team ball aau is all about money who has the most money to produce to exploit these kids to all these other opportunities granted your kids can suck but guess what? He's on a travel ball team. That's something to brag about. There's kids who play rec ball, little league ball during the spring, and they train in all season and stuff. Just because they're less fortunate than you are doesn't mean you're better than them. And those kids end up turning out being better people, better athletes uh, in society and stuff, where the other kids are being exploited all on this team and everything else and stuff. 
And to me, high school basketball, high school sports should be no determining factor than as opposed to travel ball and AAU. Everybody plays. You're going to see the elites will play against the, the poorer schools. And sometimes the poorer schools will knock the block off the big money schools just because, exactly. you know what? They have less resources, but they work just as hard, probably work even harder than some of those other places. Yeah, you can have the money. It may give you better facilities. Sometimes it doesn't give you the heart. Yep, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but. One million dollar facility, and you paying all this money for these nice looking uniforms and this and that. Your team still sucks. Just go back to this, and and sometimes it could be other situations. I'll go back to the time that Snow Hill went undefeated a couple years in boys basketball. Yeah, I was there. I, I, we were there right when they won the championship. Yeah, right? and they played a team, Surrattsville. And the problem is, everybody, there's been this debate. Well, if you don't have a 500 record, you shouldn't get into the playoffs. The problem is this: Surrattsville, one oh, A team, played at three A's, four A's, and played the toughest three A and four A schools in their region. Yeah. But that prepared them because as soon as they got in the 1A tournament, they got on a hot streak and ran the table and beat some of the supposedly better teams in their region to make it to the state championship game. Yeah. Well, I mean, then, I mean, even then, a team from the inner city got beat by a team from the little eastern shore that exactly. went undefeated. Who people yep. would question, oh, did they really play any talent? Hey, basketball is basketball. <laughs> if you like Rasheed Wallace said, ball don't lie. We can't help our population of school is less than other schools and stuff. Yes, we're in the 1A, but guess what? We keep beating everybody in the 1A, even across the bridge, the west, the south, and, uh, you know, we can't beat the east because we're here ourselves, but we're beating people from those different regions and stuff. They can't really say anything. I mean, technically, you have beaten the east if you won the region, so you've beaten the best in the east. You've beaten some of the bigger teams in their east that maybe... For example, 1A team loses to a 3A team in the regular season that they get smoked in the 3A playoffs, but yeah. the 1A team goes on to win the championship. It doesn't yeah. mean anything at all. And that happens. And like, for example, we were talking about the coaches exploiting players. I feel like that more so happens in baseball, high school baseball, and other sports than in basketball or football. Because pitching, you know, you get pitcher abuse. You see how the wear and tear, especially some of these other travel sports, maybe it happens more in college because you're just pitching them, pitching them, pitching them. That pitcher abuse is yeah. going to catch up with them down the road because the arm is not supposed to naturally throw that way. Yeah, and, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and especially trying to throw it at high velocities, and if they're your best pitcher... We know me and Durant know people who play ball with like that. Um, Daniel Cropper, he mentioned Daniel Cropper. I believe he had Tom John surgery after a certain while and then came back and played ball. Yeah. I believe he did. Yeah, his, cousin so, Kanan, I mean, his cousin Kanan, who was at Bennett, ended up having Tommy John surgery. The problem is with pitching is one pitch can damage your arm as opposed yeah. to someone who throws 100 innings and has no issue. Look, hey, my favorite pitcher, Felix Hernandez, we had a discussion before, too. I mean, he would pitch 120, 125, 130, pitch all nine innings. And now, like this year, it's probably by far his worst season ever because I believe, and I don't know who else believes it, but it's because of the wear and tear. I mean, this man has pitched, I don't know, he's been in the league for maybe 12, 13 years. This man has pitched phenomenal his first couple of years in his life. And then now this year, it's his crappiest year pitching. ERA over five. Uh, he has a, he has a under under 500 record pitching and it's just because we're here plus also you know back then he had any offense <laughs> so. he won a uh Cy Young yeah he won a Cy Young for having like an ERA of two something but only was like 13 and 14 had a, a 500 record I think it was a, a like a 12 and 12 or 13 and 13 record or something like that and people complained about it <laughs> but hey, look at this I was going to use an example Mike Messina Mike Messina had one of his worst seasons ever at 38, 11 and 10, a 5.15 ERA. And the funny thing is, you have to deal with a pitcher. Nobody's going to throw 95, 96, 97 forever. Rare. And even Nolan Ryan, he, he ended up blowing his elbow out at the end of his career after like 25 years. But 
Mike Messina had the declining velocity, ended up tinkering with his delivery, tinkering with his pitch grip. Next year, his final year, he won 20 games. And again, even though wins are not a complete total of how you, you can measure a guy's effort because wins are a team thing and it's all about luck and if your bullpen holds the lead and if you get enough run support. Yeah. I mean, look at Bartolo Colon. Yeah. He's pitching in his 40s and he still hits about 93, 94, 95 still. Yeah. <laughs> and even though there was talk he used stem cells and this thing, which might have been illegal at one point, or they're talking he might have used steroids at one point. Who knows? But I mean, Awesome. Like, for example, we never had discussions when it comes to stats. And like I said, the interview I had with Thran, for one thing, we talk about is statistics. And I don't know where you stand on statistics when it comes to especially baseball. Because baseball, I feel like those are where the numbers are more important as opposed to basketball or football. We did have this one discussion one time before. We were talking about Edgar Martinez not getting the Hall of Fame, but David Ortiz is going to get it because David Ortiz has five plus home runs. His ERA is way below Edgar Martinez's, so I don't think numbers really matter. Edgar Martinez's career started maybe a couple of years later than it should have because some people in the Mariners organization were stupid, and he lost three years of his career. At 24, he only played 13 games. At 25, he played 14 games. At 26, he played 65 games, and then he finally had a full-time job, and then he got hurt in 93 with the hamstring tear, and he only played 42 there, and he got robbed of a good season in 94. He, you know, he had two 85, 387 on base and 13 homers. Edgar Martinez is more than likely going to get in. He wasn't that far away from making it last year, and next year is his last year. So the odds are he will get that bump to get in. So I don't think I that's so. going to be an issue. I really hope so, because if not, then who are the sports writers to say that so-and-so can get in and so-and-so can't get in and stuff? Like I'm saying, Pete Rose deserves to be in. Granted, he bet it. What he did, is that's him. As long as it didn't quit 15, he should be fine. But With Pete Rose, the thing is, you're managing. You bet on your team. That means the time you did bet on your team, you sort of betting against him. Yeah, exactly. Unless he decided to take the games and stuff, then that's different. Then I would have an issue with that. Then he shouldn't be in. And even then, it's not talking about what he did as a manager. It's talking about him as a player. He is the all-time leader in hits. He should get in as a player, but there should be a caveat that says you cannot manage baseball again. I have no issue with that. You can work on Fox Sports 1 because apparently they've loosened some of those uh, restrictions. They let him come to a game in Cincinnati to be honored as part of the World Series team. They honored him because he broke the hit record. He's working for Fox Sports 1. The thing is, he should be allowed to get in the Hall of Fame as a player. That's it. You're only on his merits as a player. There's no proof that he bet as a player. You only go on as a player and not talk about the managerial part. Exactly. It really... Baseball said he's not allowed to be in a game. The Hall of Fame followed suit and said, well, as long as you're on the ineligible list, you cannot be on the ballot for the Hall of Fame. And nowadays, I think they've thinned their herd with the writers, and now the people who haven't been to a game in a certain amount of time are dropped off that list, so now you have a smaller group. But the good thing I do like when it comes to the voting of the Hall of Fame, the voting process is more open than any other group of professional Hall of Fame writers because now there's an Excel sheet that had the list of people who voted for people in the Hall of Fame, and those people have their choice of making it anonymous or leaving it open. A lot of people are being more open on who they voted for, and I think that's a big thing. As it should be. If you vote for these people, these people need to know why you voted for them, why you didn't vote for them. And then the player should ask, hey, why didn't you vote for them? 
And if that person has enough courage, they'll tell you this is the reason why I didn't vote for you. Yeah, and as a former reporter, seeing that journalists like being anonymous is hypocritical because yeah. for all these years, you like putting your name to stuff and you're always told not to use anonymous sources like that. You better own up to your words and your reasoning as to why you didn't vote for it. And if it's something stupid like, well, Babe Ruth didn't get in the Hall of Fame in the first vote, well, guess what? Those people are old, crusty farts who hated everything. <laughs> that is a bygone era. Yeah, you may have some people who learn from those people, but still, the fact is this. Nothing's going to change in their stats. It's not like they're going to magically come back and play another year and all of a sudden add more to their stats. Their stats are going to stay the same forever. They're going to stay the same forever. They are not going to change. So a Hall of Famer is a Hall of Famer. It doesn't matter first ballot or not. Now, the NFL and basketball, the way they do their Hall of Fame, it's done like people are voting for the Pope. You never know anything. All you'll see is the white smoke, and that's when you know that they picked the new pope. You don't know who did it. You don't know who they picked. You don't know what the voting process is like. And the NFL is even worse, because all of a sudden, people have their own biases. There is a reason why, like, it took forever for Art Monkton in the Hall of Fame, and you have, like, Giants reporters having to be told, oh, why is this good? If you're a fan of the Giants, and you are a beat reporter, you've seen why Art Monk should be in the Hall of Fame. There should be no reason. You shouldn't have to have anybody tell you why so-and-so should be qualified to get in the Hall of Fame. Look, you know what I find out is funny? Because I got a text message from ESPN, and the headline of the upcoming people for Hall of Fame, Jeff Garcia was on that. Jeff Garcia. If he gets in the Hall of Fame... And I don't know what's going on. But here's the problem. Everybody becomes eligible. You see notable names. And Garcia was good. He, he's not Hall of Fame caliber, and everybody knows that. I think he knows he's a Hall of Fame caliber. But you come on that yeah. list. Like, for example, yeah. Sammy Sosa's in the Hall of Fame list, and there's so on. many I- issues with him that's so problematic, he's not getting in. But you see other names that are like, oh, he was a good player at one time. Like I said, eventually, guys like Hunter Pence and all those guys, they'll be on the list. Sammy Sosa's a problem with this. He you want to be black or white. One. Or don't even speak English or not. So. <laughs> yeah, man. I always say, when I saw that picture of him now, when I saw him, I'm thinking he's a bowler hat away from looking like Al Capone. Look up yes. Al Capone on... After you said something about it, I looked it up. I looked it up. I'm like, what the hell? He looks like Al Capone. Damn, Sammy. <laughs> and like, it makes me think all the time, Harold Reynolds on MLB Network. Everybody was talking about the photo. Everybody didn't say anything. They were like, is that really Sammy Sosa? And Harold Reynolds... <laughs> He said what everybody else was thinking. Man, Sammy, you were darker than me. What happened? <laughs> I bet he busted out laughing too, didn't he? I think it was Robert Flores as well. And I think that he tried not to laugh, but Harold Reynolds was deadly serious. And I look and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe he actually said that. But what is true? That's his own society. They don't want the truth. Yeah, if it ain't true, then you sue him for slander. That's what you do. You sue him for slander or libel if it ain't true. Well, Samuel Sosa was darker than him. Yeah. <laughs> he's darker than a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, as we switched on the subject, we were talking about stats. And, yeah, John Carl Stanton has a very good resume right now, but no one knows yeah. what's going to happen with the decline. Every baseball player's peak sure. is 26 to 30. Everything after that sort of gravy. Maybe you have people who have consistent hey, stats. I don't know. That, but you never know. Like, for example. Nelson Cruz, man. He's still... Yeah, but he's going to have that cloud hanging over him, just like Robinson Cano will have the cloud hanging over him. Fair or unfair, but you got yourself in that situation, just like Rafael Palmero. The cloud hangs over you, 
But Nelson Cruz never got busted. His name was mentioned, but never got busted. And it's like a legal plea. He took a plea deal and he took the suspension. But yeah. they're going to forever intertwine him, just like Chris Davis. Even yeah. though it wasn't steroids, he took Adderall when he was told he was not allowed to take it, or he did not get the therapeutic use exemption. At that point, he took it, and that's clear as day. They denied him the therapeutic use exemption, and he still took it. And then this is bullshit. Because people give Chris Davis a pass, or he took Adderall. Adderall, if it's not on a list of performance enhancing drugs, then you don't need it. Adderall is for people who are ADHD or whatever. But Adderall can also use it for a performance enhancing drug as well. Because I've seen, I watched a documentary on Netflix about all these certain drugs that people use and stuff. And people were giving him a pass. Oh, it was the Adderall. It doesn't matter. And he knew that it was illegal. He knew it was illegal and he took that chance. But now he has a therapy use exemption for something that's very close to Adderall but isn't Adderall, but he is allowed to use it. He was talking about how at a point it was causing other issues in his life, and that's understandable, but what makes it even worse... When he was using that, the Adderall, he just went on and hit on him home run. Actually, the year he got no busted more. for it, he was hitting awful with it, too. <laughs> and then a team, as an <laughs> Orioles fan... Someone decided, well, this guy, apparently, who struggles, who has an up-and-down career, who got busted and blatantly disregarded the rules for use of a particular thing. Yes, I know it's a medical issue, and he talks about it later on how he needs it because his life in shambles. He was having issues off the field. And you give him this money after this. It is the dumbest move ever, especially now as an Orioles fan. And I think a lot of people will say, well, you could have used this money on Manny Machado. You could have used this money to get pitching. And there's a whole story behind that, that it was ownership that negotiated the deal as opposed to Dan Duquette, which is a whole other story. I can go into complaining about my favorite teams and things like that. It just when you think the Orioles are bad, surprisingly, the Redskins are becoming less dysfunctional at the moment. The Redskins got something good going on right now. Yeah, except the way the whole Cousins thing handed out, they could have traded him and got picks for him when they franchised him the first time. <laughs> yeah, they could have got picks for him. Let me tell you this. Kirk Cousins made more money franchise tag than anybody in NFL history. He was going to make you more money this year if he did their franchise tag. And we know why he went to Minnesota. Detroit wasn't good. Minnesota is close enough to Michigan, so why not? And, and they had Stafford, too, so they didn't need him. Yeah. He could have went to Denver, and people were offering their services for him, I assume. And Denver got a good defense. Yeah, too. him being serviceable, even though sometimes you worry about the play calling. Play calling might have been the issue as why they didn't go as far as they have. And if it is, it'll rear his head because Jay Gruden is calling the plays. As you saw, when Sean McVay left, he was calling the plays before he went to the Rams. And people were having the same issue. Why don't you run enough? Why don't you run enough? Why do you try to run for it on first down when it's predictable? Certain plays, it makes you wonder why. And then sometimes it's Jay Gruden. McVay was following Gruden's philosophy. Look at the Rams now. McVay goes a completely different direction as mm-hmm. opposed to where he was in Washington. When you have full reins, it's, it's a completely different story. And put you got Todd Gurley, too. I, yeah, but they had I them think. with Jeff Fisher, and they were awful. So it was all about the coach. Yeah, that's true. Nick Saban did the right thing. I want to stuff one NFL back to NWA. Jim Harbaugh, the great in Stanford, he did fantastic at San Francisco, but him and the owners didn't get along. Now he's at Michigan. He sucks. Well, they all overlooked that if they beat Ohio State. That's the oh, only yeah. thing. Like that one year, all they had to do, they lost to Michigan State when they shouldn't have on that botched punt. And then it all fell downhill after that. 
Because if they didn't lose to Michigan mm-hmm. State, they probably got a national championship game. But we have a lot of coaches who burned their bridges with management, like David Johnson. He was a winner basically everywhere he went. He won the World yeah. Series with the Mets. He led the Reds to the playoffs, and he had an owner who was batshit crazy and marred shot. He was living with his fiancée, but they weren't married, and she did not like that. So she used a morals cause to basically get out of the contract with him. And then he went to Baltimore, and he burned bridges with the owner. Mark Schott is a very strange person. Yeah, sounds like a strange person. Oh, yeah. Read up on her. She said a lot of stuff. The reason she lost her ownership of the Reds is because she said Hitler did a lot of good stuff before he went nuts. <laughs> I'm not paraphrasing that. That was the biggest news of that day on ESPN. And she had already been banned from ownership for, for a couple of different times. She wasn't like Steinbrenner, who had people follow Dave Winfield. He had a private eye following Dave Winfield. Why? I don't know. See, Steinbrenner, for winning all those games, he was probably the ultimate micromanager. Remember, the Yankees started getting better once he was suspended for a couple of years, and Gene Michael and Buck Showalter were running the team. Things got better, and then all of a sudden he came back. Guess what? He fired Showalter. And then he brought in Joe Torre, and then he would just sort of string him along every year, year after year, about bringing him back or not. This man won you three World Series, and you're still not happy? Yeah, that's why I think the Yankees are doing better now than the previous years, because they don't have that type of micromanagement. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Suns, they're running the team, and you don't see any of this drama. Worst case, if you just want to talk about Girardi getting fired because they felt he didn't relate to the younger players, and that's another issue, then maybe that Brian Cashman, the GM, took it to account. Yeah, he went to the owners like, well, you guys stand behind me with this. And the owners are not those big personalities anymore. I think the biggest thing you talk about, you hear people talk about, oh, the sports personality of the 70s, they were so big. They were so grandiose. They lit up a room. The personality was bigger than anything else. The problem is a lot of those personalities would not work now, especially now, for example, look at the way they've gone through managers and Major League Baseball. Now they don't want these big, experienced guys who have this knowledge of the game and who work on gut feeling alone and stuff like that. Now they want somebody who will go along with the front office, who's easier to control, who's analytics-based, and things like that. I mean, yeah, it worked for Houston, but it might not work for everybody like that. So look at Aaron Boone, the Yankees coach. This is his first year, right? Yeah. So he took a team that was already well-coached and already well-developed and make them even better. It's the Tony Dungy effect, as I call it. Tony Dungy, he made the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team great. That year after he got fired, the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. In baseball, that's the Buck Walter effect. Remember the Yankees, they got knocked out by the Mariners in the playoff. Next year, Joe Torre comes in, win the World Series. And then look what happens after he left the Diamondbacks. Bob Brindley comes in, players manager, yeah. boom, win the World Series. So you're saying uh, once he leaves the Orioles, Orioles win the World Series? Not in this case, they're more like the Rangers. <laughs> It'll take them a couple years. It's all about the right manager. And I feel like this, and even Bucks admitted it, sometimes you want to be the one walking the daughter down the aisle as opposed to be the one sitting in there watching someone else walk her down the aisle. Yeah, that's true. You know, we're going to have to have more of these discussions, of course, because once we get Thran involved, it will go beyond the realms of insane. Anywhere, anywhere in this realm is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to happen, and I expect that because three different personalities, my job will be more trying to navigate traffic between everybody. And it's yeah. like sports hall radio, and I don't like sports hall radio ill-informed sports fans have emotional base takes and definitely not logic and definitely no proof or statistics they just like uh, an emotion and emotion is good yeah, and there's nothing now, wrong with that but come on you if you're going to be on the radio don't make an ass of yourself 
Now you talk about sports talk radio. So I have to pose this question because it's been in the media, been on news, been on ESPN, been on social media, and a lot of people are acting stupid about this. First and foremost, Jason Whitlock, I'm going to get to my question for you. <laughs> what is your opinion about him? Because me and a co-worker were talking about him, and my co-worker said that dude would be doing a lot of cooning around. So <laughs> I will take a note from a good friend of mine who I'm hoping to have on later on. He basically said that Jason Whitlock is Uncle Ruckus from the Boondocks. <laughs> Yes, he is. So Jason Whitlock was on ESPN at first, right? Yeah. People forget, Jason Whitlock, as like a lot of these people who are on ESPN or on Fox Sports, these people who have these shows, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Jason Whitlock, they were all journalists. They were print journalists. And Jamel Hill as well. And I don't want to put her in that category. A lot of those guys. But yeah, a lot of those people were were print reporters who made the transition to television. Not everybody can do that. Well, see, Jamel Hill, she got outcasted by ESPN for seeing her opinion. But all these other people can say what they say about whoever else, but it's fine. But as soon as you fart the word Donald Trump, it's the issue. But so. yeah, like I said, and I look at it, Skip Bayless, basically, he gets paid the hate on LeBron James all the time. And it's ridiculous. He just says stuff to say stuff to the point where it's not even worth listening. I've said this before, Undisputed. I love watching Undisputed because I thought it was going to be something different than the crap that you get on ESPN now. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it just got to the point where... It just kept being the same things, and I thought it could have been such more. I don't expect to talk about NASCAR or other things, but the only beacon of that show is Shannon Sharp. And that's the only thing that makes it worth watching. I used to subscribe to their channel, and I still am subscribed to their channel, but probably not after a while. I don't even watch the clips anymore. They're not worth it. You know, some people watch it for Joy, and I don't even know Joy's still on that show anymore, but some people (laughs) like Joy, some people like Molly. There's no... On Facebook, I look at a lot of people's comments, and like, if there's a hundred comments, ninety-five of them about Joy or about the female co-host. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. But the question I was going to ask, uh-huh. and uh, I'd like to know your opinion for being the sports journalist and doing news as well. You know, Nike released a ad with Colin Kaepernick in it, and there's a lot of backlash towards Nike and a lot of people's negative opinions and stuff. And I just would like to know what's your opinion about it? Do you care? You don't care? Do you think Nike did the right thing with it? I've only seen the print ad. I have not seen the commercial that everybody's talked about. Hey, as a privately owned company, they can do whatever the hell they want. And yeah, they saw some backlash. You saw some people burning their shoes. Again, guess what? You already paid for them, so it doesn't matter. It's not like your money's going to magically come back if you burn those shoes. And apparently, as of Friday, September 14th, 2018, when this was recorded, Nike's stocks have went up. Nike's sales have went up. So apparently, sometimes they look out for the long term. Yeah, this might cause a little bit of backlash, but hey, other people might buy it. And hey... I don't really care. The only reason I'm not big into buying lots of shoes, I have big feet and I'm not paying 150 to $200 for a size 13 shoes. I'll get cheap shoes where I can actually fit and that are comfortable. Sure, they'll tear up, but guess what? They're cheaper than buying a bunch of Nikes that will have wear and tear down the road eventually anyway. Yep, exactly. I mean, like I said, Nike can do what they want. Every business can do what they want. If there's enough people who are upset about it, then they won't buy it. And that's when you see businesses will be affected. Yeah, look at Papa John. After it came that he was hurt, using the N-word. A lot of sponsors dropped them. 
a lot of them. Well, one team drops, another team picks them back up. New York Yankees, which sucks. I, like I told my wife, I, that racist pizza is not coming in this house. That pizza is not coming in. I'm boycotting Papa John. I'm never going to eat Papa John. I don't even want to smell Papa John. But I told the Shorebirds don't Papa John's anymore. But the Orioles are caught ties with the Papa John's unless they decided to get back in good graces with them or something like that. Well, I know MLB stopped doing the Papa Slam. Yeah, yeah. And I, actually, I'm glad that Pizza Hut took the mantle of... NFL, uh, baby, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there, here's the reason. Not anything political. I prefer Pizza Hut over Papa John's. I know some people call the pizzas garbage anyway, and maybe they're not as good as your neighborhood pizzeria, but I prefer Pizza Hut over Papa John's. I prefer their toppings over Papa John's. I prefer their sauce over Papa John's. I prefer crust. their crust over Papa John's. And even Little Caesars are getting to the self-crust game, so, I mean, Pizza Hut isn't a guarantee anymore because as long as you give me cheese and a crust, which is so American, and such a fact can move, I'm going to want cheese in my pizza crust. And that's probably going to be the bigger thing that leans me towards Pizza Hut and their wings are better. And you have Wingstop. Never been to Wingstop. We haven't yet, but they're they're opening one in Delaware, not even that far from where we live. They got a wing in Salisbury, but uh, I like the local wings, man. The local wings are the big love. When it comes to wings, and we've had this discussion before, I prefer a crispier breaded fried wing as opposed to the skinless fried wing that people try to pass off as uh so you like it breaded yeah i like my wings breaded and fried like wingdings fried wingdings like newark station or iga type wingdings see you like them say i like the wings non-breaded deep fry them take them out sauce them up boom that's how wings was made that's how wings are supposed to be made. you know what that'd be the national debate on this show now earl viewers and listeners all right how do you prefer your wings you like your wings naked with sauce, or you like your wings breaded with sauce, and also, do you prefer blue cheese or do you prefer ranch? That is the number one question. <laughs> now, now, coming back to the oh, great, say now skip, now, now skip, but now, now skip. being all honesty, when it comes to saucy wings, no, I'll have saucy wings without the breading on there. I have no issue with that. My saucy wings have to be naked winged, but if I want fried wings, I want fried wings with the breading on it. Just like yeah. eating fried chicken, that's how I want my chicken. If I want fried wings, I want to like fried chicken. Yeah. You I mean, go to KFC that. or Popeyes I, I, and then fry the chicken without putting any flour on it. <laughs> what kind of madness is that? Taking the line from King Leonidas. What kind of madness is that? <laughs> that's plain and simple. Okay, I agree. I agree. Since that's where my fine line is. I like saucy wings too, and everybody's sauce may vary because everybody's palate varies as well. Some people like a little bit of hotness on it. Some like like a spice, you know, and that all depends. I can handle spicy foods, but I don't really like it that much, and I don't want it to the point where I can't really taste anything. You want a little bit of heat, but not anything to the point where it's not even worth trying to eat. Yeah, I love some spicy wings. And it comes to a challenge of eating some wings, I would eat them. And the end result is not going to be good, but I would eat some spicy, spicy wings. Even the hottest wings in the world, I'll eat them. I may not live this out of hell, but I'm going to eat them. You watch those professional eating contests, like the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest and things like that. I feel like with competitive eating, hey, and I'm not saying it's not a sport. My it's thing a, is... I think it's a sport. More, more of a sport than poker. <laughs> yes, I'm taking shots at poker because well, poker is playing because it's not a sport. Playing cards is not a sport. It's not. It's something you relax and do. Eating contests is something you can't relax and do. And that's, that's between death and living. <laughs> I will say this. The thing is, if poker is going to be on ESPN, chess should be on ESPN. Seriously, because chess yeah, yeah. takes more chess strategy. But the problem yeah. is not a lot of people know how to play chess, but people can know how to play poker. And listen, the same amount of time it takes to play poker is the same amount to play chess. 
The only thing you have to do with playing poker, you got to continue getting experience. The only way you can play chess is continue to get experience. You got to play, play, play. That's how you got to do it. That's how you do it. And I feel like there's a little more drama in poker than you would a chess. Again, if you haven't watched a game of chess, I don't know how to play chess. I, I don't even know how to play checkers. And and I feel like if it was broken down to an audience where they would understand it more, that would be a very popular sport. I feel like that. Yeah. I also chess, feel like chess, trivia should be a sport as well. You talk about chess, and I, you and Duran had a discussion about your sports announcer. If you had Dave Sims and Gus Johnson doing chess, oh my God, that's giving me the perfect combination. <laughs> oh my Gary Thorne is good as well I'll say that Sure he'll get names wrong Well maybe he might get them right Because a lot of Russian names And he's good with that with hockey But I feel like Gary Thorne And Gus Johnson Like I said And I mentioned before The NCAA tournament Is not the same without Gus Yeah Gus is great I love listening to Gus I love listening to Dave Sims too man Dave Sims His voice is just uh, So and when you said Dave Sims, it makes me think of this discussion I had before. The Reggie Cleveland All-Stars. Basically, Reggie Cleveland All-Stars are people whose names don't match their ethnicity. <laughs> Dave Sims. You hear the voice. You hear the voice and you hear the name. As soon as you see him, you do not expect him to be black. I did <laughs> not. For years, I, I did not expect <laughs> him to be black. <laughs> I did not. And Gus Johnson. I didn't think Gus Johnson was, was black either. I, I knew Gus Johnson was. Cause I remember watching the sports cast on Channel 5 in D.C. Uh, when we were living in Salisbury. And it would be him, Chick Hernandez, Steve Buckhantz. Those guys were the uh, the sports crew. Maybe their lines didn't intersect. But I know Gus was like the weekend guy. And I remember seeing Gus Johnson on there. And it was like, oh, snap, it's Gus. I remember watching Gus on Channel 5. While Channel 4 had George Michael, and we didn't really get the other stations because we had a CBS affiliate and an ABC affiliate. I knew, you know, Channel 6, you had Bob Lown. Bob Lown was on there for the longest time. And if he gives a chance to hear this, shout out to Bob Lown, former WBOC sports anchor. Channels 47, you know, I couldn't really put a name with a particular sports anchor. I mean, yeah, now they're getting better. And again, I'm at an area where I can't watch either one of them, but... I feel like 47 has really improved their sports department. I feel like new ownership really helped with that. But, yeah. you know, like I said, there are particular people you know. You think of a particular face of a particular channel or station or network, and you're always going to have it, just like ESPN. Some people are going to say Chris Berman. Some people are going to say Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann. Some people are going to say Stuart Scott, Rich Eisen. And it all depends on your experiences and when you watched. Yeah, I agree. I guess as we wrap this up, what are the best ways people can get up with you? I know you sort of went on a social media hiatus at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, doing the social media hiatus actually was a wonderful thing because as I left social media, I left the stupidity of people's opinions. And as I came back to social media, I find that the stupidity hasn't left, but the stupidity has gotten worse. So, um, you know, that's my take on that. But to be reached, I can be reached on uh, Facebook, Edward Holland Sr., Instagram, eHolla86. My Twitter handle is at eHolla86. I'm very active in all of them nowadays. I usually post my daily either running or walking routine with my kids, my coworkers, or by myself. I'm just trying to get at it in life and I'm just trying to live the American dream. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, I do appreciate this. And we are going to do this again. And how this all turns out, I don't know. But I think if you enjoy it, if you have some comments, hey, let us know. We can always agree to disagree. Yeah, we're going to disagree on stuff. And that happens. And that makes life interesting. But there's a civil way to handle stuff. Life would not be exciting if everybody thought the same way. It's great to be different. It's fantastic to be different because then you can learn something from somebody 
Like I go to the Matthew McConaughey speech, and I know some people who differ on it. When he won the Oscar, he talks about, I inspire to be better than I was yesterday, and better yeah. than I was a month from today, uh, better yeah. from a year, from 10 years. Some people see it as arrogant, but I see it as self-improvement. There's nothing wrong, and there's always that thing hey. of hope. Yeah, optimistic hope, not foolish hope where I hope to win a million dollars, I hope to win the lottery. That's hey. dumb. I'm glad you touched on that subject, too, because there was an interview with Jim Carrey. And this was in his younger years, before he started to get out the limelight of Hollywood. And he was on there discussing about when I got my first big check from doing a living color. And he was like, I'm going to take this check. I'm going to hang it up on the wall. And I say, in 10 years from now, we'll see how I improve and everything else and stuff. And, he, you know, he just went through that whole thing. He just saying, like, you know, 10 years come about. And then he, he improved on what he had made. But he still was humble for the fact for that $1 million, that $1 million check he got from a living color. He said, that set the tone for me. He said, I want to be better than what I am now, and I want to improve my life, which I thought was really motivational, man. And then, actually, I thought I heard a similar Jim Carrey story where he talked about he, while he was still a struggling comedian, he wrote a check, and he wanted to be able to one day say, I'm going to be able to cash this check, which might be basically the same story or a yeah. variation of the same story. I always think of the, when you talk about million-dollar checks not cash, I always think about Ricky Henderson, where his first million-dollar check with the A's, he got the check, and he never cashed it. So at the end of the year, the A's look at their books like, we have a million-dollar offset, and we try to figure it out. And it's like, Ricky, did you ever cash a check? It's like, Ricky Henderson apparently... Again, this is a story that I hear from other people that you hear and how true it is. It might be one of those things they call like the Mandela effect where you think you hear something, but you don't really know. He had the check framed on his wall. He never cast a check. <laughs> but I always think of That's all the Rick. things that are attributed to Ricky Henderson. And I feel like, and I always go back to the story that is not Ricky Henderson related, but it sounds like something would have been a Ricky Henderson story about Chuck Carr, former outfielder for the Marlins. The manager gave him the signal to bunt. And he's like, why don't you bunt? He's like, Chucky don't bunt, Chucky hacks. <laughs> And actually, there was a uh, Brewers blog oh, called Chucky Hacks for a while that shut down. But man, 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 those things. Some of the stories that you hear. Yep. But as we wrap this episode up. Just remember, if you ever have a bad time, just remember that picture that you walk in his basket. I might use Thanks that photo as one of the promo photos for the podcast episode, just because. Why not? Life is no... better than being an Ewok. Again, I do appreciate it. Thanks once again, and I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I had a fun time. I want to give a special thanks to my brother, Edward Holland Sr., for his time in participating in this interview. And very soon, we hope to do that aforementioned group interview with Eddie and our cousin Theran Dennis in the near future. Next week, we'll take a look at more of the analytical side of sports with my guest, Mark DeMora. We'll get into a discussion of whether poker is considered a sport, the math behind it, and how mathematics is playing an increased role in sports through the use of advanced statistics and sabermetrics. To listen to past interviews, go to thesportsrefuge.com, or you can go find the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, or Stitcher Radio. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog.